In this last episode, I was speaking with William, the host of Undone Podcast, and we just jumped right into the meat of the conversation. We didn't do an introduction, so I'm doing it now. Uh, it's a great conversation. Conversation. We talked about uh, censorship, uh, Trump, COVID, Biden administration, uh, health care, gun reform, all kinds of things. So it went on for a bit longer than we planned, but we just couldn't cut it off. So we're going to schedule another one coming here soon. But I hope you enjoy. Uh, <laughs> so, buddy, I have to ask, listening to your podcast, I want to say thank you for doing what you do. Um, you are I, something that I think we had talked briefly before an email. Um, you know, are two not necessarily opposing ideologies. I think you and I actually agree on a few things. It's the the mechanisms of the end results of how we go about it and how we yeah. achieve those. And, you know, something that last year um, that I, I started doing, I asked about 155 people what was on the 2020 ballot for them. What was on the ballot for them in November? I wanted them to rank from one to five, you know, what from most important to least important. And doing that, something that I found was the common people really do know a lot more than we give them credit for. So anywhere from grocery store workers working out in West Texas all the way to CEOs in Dallas, you know, just to give you an idea of what the sample size uh -huh. was. And everyone is essentially overlapped, you know, uh, the, always typically in the top three was COVID, you know, uh, the governmental response to COVID and how do we get past COVID. Um, number two and three is where things get interesting. Number two was, uh, I think, out of the 155, 80 of them was healthcare. How do we fix the United States healthcare system? Mm -hmm. Number three is where I think things become a little bit more partisan. Um, and, it, and it ranged anywhere from uh, immigration reform in the United States um, all the way to the social welfare system that we currently have in the United States. And how do we fix it? Uh-huh. Uh, Ultimately, though, I think this is the recurring theme is that the current state of the United States, that something is wrong, that the alarm bells are going off, that something in people's lizard brain knows that the way things are just aren't working. They're not working for them, you know, um, and uh, in a way why I started uh, podcasting and get, getting into broadcasting, funny story. Um, so in 2015, if you would have met me, I was a, uh, I was a college student here at Texas state university. Um, I was, uh, actually recruited, uh, to run t at Texas state university. Thankfully I got out of my, uh, small rural town of Sonora, mm -hmm. uh, graduated with around 40. I think I I'm being generous when I say 40, it's probably like 38 people in my, my graduating class, you mm -hmm. know? And there's only three ways people got out of that high school. They either, A, they went to the oil field and worked in the energy industry in Texas. Uh, B, they went to the military. Or C, they were lucky enough to get a scholarship. And, you know, what's sad is that's 
I think the story of America right now, you know, this weather in 2020, you know what the number one indicator was if you were going to vote for Donald Trump or not? Uh, I don't know. A four-year college degree. Four-year college degree. And um, I think that's alarming. Mm-hmm. I think that's alarming. Whether or not I disagree with Donald Trump's policies or not, there uh-huh. there's something happening in not only rural America, but middle class and working class America, you know, mm-hmm. and I think I briefly talked about this. People now feel uh, there was a Pew Research survey done in 2020. Uh-huh. 70% of Americans believe that we no longer live in a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. That is alarming, even more alar- alarming. 13% of Americans feel engaged and valued at their job. <laughs> that's pretty low. And that that's problematic. That is extremely yeah, yeah. problematic. What do you do when 90 or 87% of the rest of the workforce don't feel valued or engaged? You know, I I, I don't I know what I do know is that what we've been doing the last 30, 40 years, you know, outsourcing and, you know, deindustrializing the United States isn't working. It's not working for a majority of Americans. Um, and what I do know is uh, we, if we don't do anything, it is going to have a deleterious effect on not only the United States economy, but the United States Americans' psyche more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said something, the, sorry, we didn't really do our, this is good stuff, but we, I, I didn't technically do the introduction, but I'm just going to put this in, I suppose. Uh, I, I, because I, I want to keep going down this road since you kind of just opened the door to something that I found interesting that I heard a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, do you know uh, about the, you mentioned that you did a um, kind of your own survey, basically, did, like how, how many people did you say that you did? About 100, 155. Okay. Did you differentiate the difference between uh, when they gave you the answer who was like uh, on the left side of the spectrum versus right side of the spectrum? I actually, so one of the questions I made, I wanted to ask because this is a good indicator that pollsters got wrong in 2016 mm-hmm. is talking about their support for Donald Trump, the, uh-huh. the, the Trump supporter. The, the question was, did they feel comfortable ask or talking about them supporting Donald Trump or not? Mm-hmm. And of those 155, you know how many said they were uncomfortable talking about it? I would assume the majority. I remember I mean, maybe not the entire majority, but I, I'm pretty sure it's a big number because I remember a while ago going through some numbers about people that were afraid to admit who they were voting for uh, or afraid of admitting that they were voting for Trump. But if I don't I, know. Yeah, no. So it, just my little survey, my little bullshit survey, uh-huh. 120 of them, 120, you know, and granted, you got a picture of Texas, you know, Texas's demographics are changing Mm-hmm. fairly large unfortunately or not I, i'm not going to say unfortunately but i have a diverse uh group of beliefs in my friend group so uh-huh. <laughs> it's so um even even myself you know i think uh, a lot of people who know me know i'm the, probably the biggest lefty in the room but i will thankfully give you know trump credit where it's due mm-hmm. and um i don't think people that have my political persuasion um do that they um 
they've got a uh, brain rot when it comes to uh, what, what what did they what did they call that Trump derangement syndrome? Yeah, Trump derangement. I mean, that's one of the things that over the last what, five, four or five years when Trump was running, you know, when I started paying attention because you know I was in college at the time, and when I was I started paying attention, I actually I hated politics, and I used to my stance all the time when someone started talking about politics, it's just like, pff, I, I just don't want to talk about it. And I start paying attention a little bit more towards my later years in college. And uh, I just started noticing inconsistencies in the media. And I never, you know, I, I assumed as a kid that the media was bound by law to say the truth. Like I, I just never thought that they might say something that's not true. I figured it would be illegal. And so I start watching interviews and then I, I watch like a, a recap of an interview. Like I had just watched the interview, then on a different channel, I watch a recap and the recap repeatedly said things that the interview did not actually say. It was stuff that's slightly out of context, jumping to conclusions based on uh, things that were said. And I thought, well, that seems really dishonest. And that was the first time that a light flickered in my mind that I can't necessarily trust what I'm seeing. And ever since that point with the Trump derangement syndrome, it's just every single thing that he does, even if it's been done repeatedly in the past, it's it's uh, uh, a new level of outrage. It's just, it's something that he's doing that's unheard of. And it started pushing me to the right. And that's something we exchanged in the email to where you said you've gone more left in throughout your, when you were in university, where I've gone more to the right. And I think the reason I've gone more to the right is because I'm seeing such an extreme level of bias against Trump. Yes, he does a lot of stupid stuff. He says an outrageous amount of stupid stuff. But there, it doesn't seem to be a fair line of comparing it to what your own party says and then you know just making an equal line. It's like, okay, well, here's something that's bad. Trump passed that line. Okay, let's criticize him for that. But it seems, you know, something in their own party, uh, as far as the left goes, it, I guess the hot topic right now is the kids in cages. Yeah. When he had, what was it, 2,700 kids at that point, it was complete outrage. Everyone going crazy about this. These are concentration camps. This is racist, all these things. And now you have a multiple of that, what, 13,000 plus, I think. I haven't looked at the most recent numbers. But you see the media... And left-wing politicians justifying it. Well, it's a transition period. We need to. There, it's excuse after excuse instead of being honest and saying, "Well, if it was a crisis, and it was racist then, and it was concentration camps then, why isn't it now?" Have you seen the uh, the memes of uh, of a drone flying in a twenty? <laughs> don't don't laugh, man. The the drone flying in twenty nineteen. So, you know, it's got MAGA on it and then uh, the drone flying in 2021 uh, with the uh, LGBTQ flag and, you know, I have not. Yeah, no. And so uh, the point I want to make is um, it's the same shit, just a different person. And I, I think a lot of people um, don't realize this to start on a timeline. There's a really good study I encourage you to read. It's the 100 million project by the Knight Foundation. And you, do you know who the largest voting bloc in the United States is? Uh, no. Non-voters. People who choose not to oh, vote. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that would make sense. And so why do they choose not to vote? Well, they feel the system's rigged. 
They feel like no matter what, their voice doesn't count. Mm -hmm. So you've got this trend year after or election after election, year after year, to where people are choosing to not participate. 2020 and 2018 were out of the norm. You know, uh, 2018 was the highest turnout in midterms, and 2020 was, you know, the highest turnout in in an election ever. And so, um, so people feel that you know the system's rigged against them. That no matter what, that their voice isn't going to be heard. And in fact, that goes into the next study. There's a, a study done by Princeton University in 2017 that found that the United States is an oligarchy. <laughs> and, and so, how did come to that conclusion. And so they, uh, there are 72. Um, <clears throat> so <laughs> this study went over, I think it was 1,170 pieces of legislation. And they compared that to popular support uh, based on percentages. So, for example, minimum wage has, depending on who you poll, 70% to a 80% uh, favorability rating. Uh, and it's bipartisanly supported that when you increase the minimum wage. It's been the longest since, what was the last time we increased it? 2008, 2009, right? Uh, so 12 years. Mm-hmm. And so a uh, majority of Americans want to increase the minimum wage, yet we continue not to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 93% of Americans want a federal jobs guarantee, yet we continue not to. Uh, marijuana legalization, majority of Americans now support marijuana legalization. Mm-hmm. And I know state by state, it's coming more and more, yeah. but we, uh, as the federal government, I mean, hell, did you see how the uh, Biden administration <laughs> kicked out 11 of their, uh, uh, I'm guessing, whether they were interns or whatever, they answered honestly that they uh, they smoked marijuana and they kicked them out. And they yeah, said, I, saw, I didn't get to read about it, but I, I, I saw that, but I didn't get to follow up on it. So I, I don't know much about it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. So, so they went even further. And in these, um, the people that, you know, they based off of income groups um, and versus the, income groups of the wealthy in the top one percent just to use some i guess political buzzwords um mm-hmm. they uh it, if i'm not mistaken it's eight nine times out of ten the legislation that the richest one percent or the establishment wants gets passed mm-hmm. um and and that's extremely problematic as you and i both know it's money in congress and in washington is poisoning the system mm-hmm. uh, and at the very least, whether it's we, you know, ban lobbying, but honestly, I'm nihilistic um, about money and politics. I, I, I think at this point is a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. But by one, um, I think one one way to ameliorate this is to change our voting system instead of this winner take all voting system. We need ranked choice voting. And so um, can you can you. Go in a little bit uh, when you say ranked choice voting. Yeah, yeah. So ranked choice voting is a voting system that is utilized by other Western democracies that essentially, one, instead of this popularity contest that we have going um, Mm -hmm. or whoever can raise the most money, the, the politicians actually have to talk about their policies and the best policy wins, right? Mm-hmm. And so essentially, uh, there's typically, I want to say four or five rounds of voting. Um, after every round of voting, the person with the least amount of votes mm-hmm. gets knocked out and their votes are distributed to the candidates evenly. And then same thing in the second round, same thing in the third round to where eventually it is 
a um is a more fair and more mm-hmm. uh, transparent election process you do, you know? th- do you think that that is possible when a candidate comes up uh under the label of a party do you think that there's too many partisan people that will just go ahead and select the, the one on their side or would they need to because for me i think political party political parties are just horrible yeah. you know, if i had it my way i would say there is no political party you're not allowed to affiliate with a political party if you're running for office and you just basically have to come up you know it'd be like behind the curtain you say your policy you get your policy picked and i think mm-hmm. I've, what what you're just uh i don't recall the name that what did you call that it's uh ranked choice voting yeah 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 I think that that would be a great way to do it. And then you break it down by rounds. Okay, well, here's the first topic, here's second topic, and, and so on. And then you vote for that, and then whoever happens to come out at the end wins. But I'm not sure that that's possible if they're under the, the banner of a political party. So I'm going to say yes and no. <laughs> I know that's that's a uh, <laughs> non-answer. Exactly. Uh, so yes, if we defeat the feeling of apathy that millions of americans feel you know mm-hmm. um americans now are increasingly becoming more nihilistic and apathetic and that's not good and so we need to defeat that apathy um secondly i agree i think you know from whether it's george washington or eisenhower you know warned us about partisan political parties that it is party before the people and that that just doesn't work in a representative republic or even it's almost anti-democratic to an extent. And we saw this during the Trump years. Um, even something, for example, something I agreed with Trump on, uh, the denuclearization of North Korea. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's a good policy. That's a great policy, in fact. We should try to denuclearize as many nuclear um, weapon-holding nations in the world. But because Trump did it, you know, you've got people screaming on MSNBC and CNN that's a bad policy and that he's, you know, holding Kim Jong-un up on a, you know, golden platter. Yeah. And I I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, If anyone has done any reading on whether it was Hiroshima um, or just the the destruction that nuclear devices cause, oh, they would they would agree with it, you know, wholesale. But I, I think the when it comes to partisanship, it's. It's, I think psychologically there's something you know that Americans have been going through the last four four years. Or actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna go as far back and um, go to 2000 the 2000 election between Al Gore and George W. Bush. You know, I was probably six or seven years old. I remember my second grade teacher was like, "Hey, hey, little Will, who are you gonna vote for?" <laughs> well. I don't know. You know, I'm seven years old. I got to watch Dragon Ball Z after I get out of class, Miss McDonald. Yeah, and I watched uh, Power Rangers when I got off school. <laughs> but I wouldn't, I wouldn't admit it to my friends. When my friend, when, wait, when there's this one kid at school, he was talking about Power Rangers and it was like, I was trying to fill it out. And I remember this. It's like, oh, he likes Power Rangers. It's so stupid. But I knew I was going to go home and watch the new Power Rangers every day after school. Yeah. Man, something that was bad about as a kid, because uh, I, I grew up poor. I grew up poor, and um, I would lie to my friends that I'd seen a movie when I hadn't, and I would try to bullshit as best as I could. And I'm like eight years old, you know, <laughs> and like, oh yeah, totally saw Godzilla, you know, uh, 1999 Zilla when that came out, and um, I got and, that uh, movie for my. Oh, no way. I gave that movie to one of my friends for his birthday, and then his dad made fun of me. 
Yeah, he threw it away probably too. Probably, yeah. <laughs> and I'm assuming you and that friend don't talk anymore, right? Uh actually that's a sad story. He had a unfortunately he had a drug addiction he ended up uh passing on. But yeah, that was so long ago now. Man, uh to you know, I I can I can relate, you know. Um there's two two really good books that I encourage you to read. Mm -hmm. Uh Deaths of Despair by Ann Case and uh, Drug Dealer MD, you know, they're, they both cover uh, two epidemics in the United States that are currently happening. The rise of deaths of despair, so that's defined as alcoholism, so liver cirrhosis, mm -hmm. uh, and then opioid overdoses and suicides in the United States have continued to rise in the last, from 1999 onward, deaths of despair have continued to rise. In 2013 onward, is this horrible negative trend and mm -hmm. so for example in the book uh, it talks about kentucky and in kentucky in rural america um you know it's a red state um but opioid deaths back in 2010 were 37 per 1000 you know what they were in 2014 i do not 137 so where what what's happening to to rural america you know they're becoming addicted they're you know they're becoming increasingly unhappy whether it's in their workplace or whether it is in their financial situation in their lives and um drug dealer md covers essentially how you know doctors pretty much started pawning off you know uh painkillers to to their patients instead of prescribing you know physical therapy as an alternative method or mm -hmm. um or any other I, I, and honestly I'm, I'm not into homeopathic remedies but anything else other than opioids is a better uh you have better outcomes than anything i know opioids do help my mother uh, has had nine back surgeries she she walks with like a a, a hump and whatnot mm -hmm. and uh, she doesn't really get to live with dignity anymore. Um, you know, I, I'll admit she was addicted, addicted to opioids uh, for, mm -hmm. for several years. And it was increasingly not only depressing, but it was almost alienating. You know, who is this person? It's not my mother. You know, yeah. she's up till, till two, three o'clock in the morning. I'd walk out in my kitchen and she'd be cooking eggs and slumped over the stove and whatnot. Yeah. And yeah. the story of both your friend and my mother is happening across all America to millions of families. And it's yeah. it's sad. It is absolutely sad. And, um, you know, the Trump administration did a great job of, you know, trying to rein in, you know, Purdue Pharma. But uh, they, they got away with a slap on the wrist. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think they got fined. 93 million dollars i may be wrong on that stat but i know it's it's typically these fines are a slap on the wrist mm -hmm. there's there's not real actual you know um consequences for you know what they did and uh well, if they're I, making... sorry go ahead oh, no no go ahead go ahead well, uh, what i was gonna say i i mean i was i don't know what i was listening to the other day but they were talking about this and they had talked about, uh, this is a subject that I don't know a ton of, about, so correct me if you know that I'm wrong, but, you know, Trump had put in some sort of a legislation that allowed uh, prescription medicine to be cheaper, and then apparently Biden rolled that back. Do you know anything about that? that, that I, 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 that price I to go back up. 
Yeah, I had saw that at the beginning of the transition period. Essentially, uh, Biden, it wasn't a pers- it was a particular prescription. So insulin um, was one of them. You know, um, I, I think I think we could both agree that the healthcare system in the United States just isn't working. It is absolutely destroying millions of Americans' lives. Uh, we we rank amongst uh i think the 11 industrialized nations in terms of health outcomes we rank number 11 out of 11. you know um in terms of cost we rank number one and so um i think the what, what whether it was donald trump i think trump is symptomatic of something that's been happening in the united states for the last 30 40 years um I, I don't view him as, you know, the cause of anything. These these problems predated him. And I don't think a lot of liberals understand that. Um, I think that's but, one of the big problems is it, it seems like these. I, I don't know what it is, but it seemed like everybody just suddenly turned on their lights when Trump was in office, because there's a lot of things. That were happening long before and that have been, been done many times before. That. Trump was continuing or maybe increasing, and it suddenly turned into this firestorm like this. I can't believe he would do this. And it's like, well, what about in 2014 when the same thing was happening? It's like, mm-hmm. so it, it just seems like the media, and this is, you know, you said something earlier that made me think of this. I don't remember what it was, but, you know, at one point Trump said that the media is the enemy of the, en- enemy of the people. And a lot of people got very upset by this left and right. And I was, at that time thinking, you know, that's a little bit extreme, but as time has gone on over and I keep hearing these stories that are false and they're not correcting them when they, then when the evidence comes out or else they are correcting them, but it's something that no one ever sees because it's like a far back page. It's not a headline story. Like it was when they, when they reported it, I think in my opinion, the media is responsible for more division than anything Hmm. in the United States. And that it, it seems like across every subject, because it doesn't matter what it is, is it, as far as related to Trump, it seems like they jump on it and they report it as if he is like a, a Nazi leader mm-hmm. marching, you know, migrants into extermination camps. And then you have other people like AOC parroting that sort of behavior mm-hmm. or that's those sort of talking points. And, yeah. and so I, I have over the last for years, every day that goes by, I'm just more and more like, I will not trust a single word that I hear in the media. And if I hear something, I have to check it with three, four different sources. And ideally, or generally, I end up with an independent, smaller source to try to verify if what I'm hearing is true. Yeah, um, I, I think something that I learned in college was uh, media literacy. And, um, you know, I've got to thank, you know, my liberal brainwashing for that, right? <laughs> and, uh, and um, but no, um, I, I agree with you. Um, there's two books that you need to read if you haven't read. Uh, Matt Taibbi's Hate Inc., you know, talks about the pretty much profit driven um, media system, ecosystem that we have. I mean, a good example, I think you and your last guest touched on this, was um, essentially how Facebook and social networks essentially. You know, we found that we interact with things that piss us off more than anything. That's just human nature. And Facebook has been, you know, capitalizing on that. Uh, The second second book is Noam Chomsky's 
uh, manufacturing consent because ultimately that is what the media is trying to do. They're trying to manufacture your consent into putting you into illegal offensive wars or tell you that's okay that we bailed out Wall Street but we kicked out 5.1 million Americans out of their homes out of no fault of their own. And so I, I think Trump provided a easy mechanism to, for people to point to and blame. You know, um, and, you know, I didn't vote for the guy, but I mean, if I'm able to see that, you know, I, I think, again, it's that that partisan rot. I think people, you know, disagree. <sighs> Excuse me. I'm not sure if you can hear my son in the, <laughs> the room barking. I can't actually. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> I set up the studio to, you know, be fairly insulative. But uh -huh. um, but yeah, no. Um, but the media media ecosystem is essentially they're not going to tell you. You know, they don't want to talk to you about real things that address Americans' material well-being. They want to talk about, you know, whether it's Dr. Seuss or they want to talk about um, – this is one that I, I am torn on. As a, as a former NCAA athlete, you know, transgenders competing against, you know, uh, women or men um, in, you know, uh, amateur sports or professional sports. Uh -huh. But how does, how does that address – the economic and material well-being of Americans. It doesn't, you know, and instead of talking about things like wealth inequality, they want to talk to things that they know that generate clicks um, yeah. because, you know, whether it's economics or um, or the, the former, uh, I think we both know which one is a more spicy topic to cover. So, <laughs> yeah, what well, uh, just out of curiosity, what did, what uh, sport did you do? Uh, I was recruited to Texas State University um, to run the 400 hurdles. And so I ran, <laughs> I ran the, the 400 hurdles and I didn't know which race was worse. Um, and so uh, thankfully I was fast coming out of a small town in Texas. Uh -huh. uh, and, you know, they paid for my school. But uh, but gosh dang, uh, my, my junior year, they were like, hey, Will, um, we, we want you to go run the 800. Let's just see how you do. Let's just see how you do. And uh, I'm not sure. I'm not from, sure if you're familiar with like track times or whatnot. My first 800, I ran. I ran a 153. And um, in terms of like D1 collegiate level, that's you know that's subpar. That's not going to get you you know into NCAA regionals. Okay. But that's enough to score points at conference, which matters to your scholarship. So um, uh. Uh, yeah. So um, either way, um, I've got to say. At the very, the very least, I I feel like it has been now, um, because I mean, the, these athletes coming out of high school or even in just competing in college is amazing. Like it, it really is. And um, a part of me wishes I went into, um, I wanted to be a, a hurdling coach, you know, coming out of college, but uh, I didn't and whatnot. And so I I think the sport uh, I, I got. I got great or good at the wrong sport because now, man, I have bad knees on Monday. I'm actually meeting my orthopedic doctor to schedule a knee surgery. So, um. oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so would you say it's better to be a has been or a never was? Oh man. Um, <laughs> yes and no. Um, I, uh, on one hand, I'm paying the, the medical bills associated with the knee surgery and on the other hand, I have so I've made some of the best relationships and best friends um, on that track team, and um, I have some of the best memories. I'm not. I, are, do, did you ever watch track or grow up watching track? Um, 
not, I mean, if you say watching, like religiously watching, then no, but like, I, I'm very aware of it. I've watched it occasionally in the Olympics, watched it, you know, friends doing it through high school and whatnot. But, and yeah. what's, that, what's that, what's that famous hurdler's name? That girl, she's Australian girl that does the little dance. Oh, I, I know what right? you're talking about. I was about to say Lolo Jones, but I can't remember her name. Uh, Cause I saw her everywhere everywhere um whether yeah, she's uh, my biggest introduce introduction to hurdles because like <laughs> i follow her on everything so i'm just like <laughs> always seeing not, like how she's doing i'm not gonna ask you why but um uh i'm I, really into hurdling <laughs> yeah, there you go there you go um but no like i i ran against uh some uh you know prominent olympic athletes um pretty much uh do you know uh michael johnson he had the 400 meter uh record in uh you know 1996 there in atlanta and so i ran against uh usa uh olympic team gold uh in at a lsu track meet in uh four by four and uh one of them was the silver medalist from 2004 in athens and not to go off into the weeds in this, but this guy, there is a difference between a college athlete and an Olympic class athlete. I don't think a lot of people understand. Uh-huh. Like by the time I got the baton, so they front loaded the four by four at that meet. I was the slowest guy. So they put me as the anchor leg, just, you know, full disclosure and whatnot. Whereas typically the, uh, the thinking is you put the fastest guy on the anchor leg depends on, you know, what, what your guys are splitting. Uh-huh. By the time Jeremy Warner got the the baton, and by the time I got the baton, the guy was like 80 meters away from me, man. And I was just like, he's going, he's going. Oh, he's going, man. He's never going to stop. And it was funny because I didn't get tired on that, that 400. I remember that because I was so focused on catching him yeah. that he made me compete even better. So, um yeah, man, I'll never forget that, and I can't wait to tell my grandchildren about how I lost to Jeremy Warner at a LSU track meet in 2015. You know, so yeah, I mean, I think it's better to have a story that you were there, you competed and lost, rather than no story at all, right? Mm-hmm. I think. My, um, no, I, I agree, man. I agree, and um, I, I think people's stories their personal stories that's why why i love talking to people why whether it's you or whether it's just the common people that i want to sit and ask questions something that i found in that poll that i did Mm -hmm. was people wanted to talk that they felt that their politicians and congressmen and women just weren't listening to them Mm -hmm. that they had no one that they could pretty much you know express their grievances to Mm -hmm. um a couple weeks ago uh, i was uh, up in dallas and and uh, or last week I was in Dallas, but um, I met up with uh, with some family friends I haven't seen in a long time. And, you know, they're asking me, hey, Will, how are you doing? And, you know, just catching up because in, in coronavirus, time doesn't exist because it was March 2020 yesterday, you know. Um, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and I hadn't seen them since 2019. And so I didn't get to ask them um, or I didn't, you know, reach out to them to ask them the survey questions. Uh-huh. And my gosh, man, they just wanted to talk. They wanted, I swear if I didn't end it after 45 minutes, because typically I will say this, the questions last about 30 minutes, but around that 45 minute mark to one hour mark, you know, uh, they, they start, you know, going off into the weeds away from my, my, my questions. Uh-huh. But, um, 
but no, they, they, they wanted to, to actually sit down and talk about, you know, what was going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, whether it's, you know, people on the left or the right just not talking anymore, or in fact, you know, their politicians becoming more and more out of touch with their constituents, the common people, people want to have a say in the way their lives are, um, you know, lived. You know, that's what politics is. And when, when people, uh, you know, they, they tell me that I'm, I'm not interested in politics. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like gravity. It doesn't care if you believe it or not. If you jump off that building, you're falling. Politics yeah. is essentially the infrastructure in the way that you live your life. And it, it, whether it's from taxes to where you work and how you work, um, it doesn't matter. Politics has a, a hand in every part of your, your life. And I, I think, you know, whether it's, it's your show or mine, I think the, the biggest goal is that we need to get people involved into the, the political process. Um, yeah. well, you know, that, That's why I started doing this. I mean, I've been toying with it. I'm, I'm kind of a procrastinator. So like I'm, I've always been kind of uh, motivated to make sure I achieve things, but I also procrastinate a lot. And I've been thinking about doing this for years, and I wish I would have started it five years ago, six years ago, when I first had the thought. But um, I, I just repeatedly, like, like you're saying, you, that people want to have their voices heard. I felt like I wanted to have my voice heard because I'm hearing things that just don't make sense to me. And I'm hearing things that seem like, well, you're only saying that because you don't know this. Like, I, and whether I'm ignorant to my own uh, bias, I, I, I don't know. But I'm constantly hearing some things that just don't make any logical sense. And I've never sat down and talked to anybody where I share something with them that they didn't know. And it's like it where it blew up or they weren't saying, oh, well, I didn't know that. And then both of us can shape our opinions based on the new information that we're getting. But when you look online and you see the narratives going around, it's like, no, that idea is horrible. And there, there is no reason why that idea could be good. It doesn't make sense to me because, like I said, I've never had a one-on-one conversation with someone where it wasn't civil. And if they're saying something where I have information they don't, they don't accept that information and ponder on it and same vice versa. They have information that I don't have. You know, you've said a lot of things here today so far that I don't have information on, you know, and I'm willing to accept that and, and bring that into my knowledge and then adapt to my opinion. But it, it just kind of seems like people don't want to accept new ideas because there's so much online engagement instead of face-to-face engagement. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a paper that I, I relatively know the title that I want to read, but I know the abstract of the paper. It was a 1996 paper. So the, it's, it's scary that the predictions that they made, um, it was, it's called cyber communities um, or cyber um, balkanization, and I might have the title wrong, but I imagine if you put it into, you know, one of your monopolistic, you know, web search browsers, uh, they'll they'll be able to find it for you, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, same here, same here. You know, people look at my phone, they're like, "What the hell's there a duck <laughs> right there on, on? Oh, that's Duck Duck Go." You know. Yeah. And, I don't think I've uh, ever mentioned Duck Duck Go, and someone knows what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> Maybe they'll sponsor us. Maybe they'll. That'd be great. I could use some sponsors. <laughs> hey, hey, keep doing it, man. You'll you'll get there eventually. Trust me. I I look like to to touch on this. 
you know, Joe Rogan started his podcast in 2010. Um, you know, I started listening to him. I might be off on there. It was like 2009, 2010, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've looked at his first episodes, and hey, my first episodes are better than his. So <laughs> there, there, there you go, man. There you go. And so I, um, I think the the biggest problem is uh, what that new podcasters face, including myself, is consistency. You know, sitting down and like you know, editing, recording, finding people that actually want to sit and have a conversation. In the in the you know context of a pandemic that made it extremely hard um, to you know bring guests into the you know studio and like oh hey let's uh, let's have a conversation with like masks on and anything and whatnot yeah, for sure and, and um, but no uh, that that going back to that paper that paper predicted that the internet was going to bring a unintentional consequence. That we were going to be, we were as you know, people. Whether it's Western Europeans, Russians, you know, uh, Chinese are a different conversation. Um, yeah, uh, but you know, industrialized nations that had access to the to the open, you know, internet, we're going to find like-minded communities, uh-huh. and they are going to sit inside of their own bubbles. And so, you know, that's that's problematic. Uh, for a few reasons one of them is that if i can't present my ideas to you and they don't hold water well my ideas aren't worth anything yeah. and uh, on top of that it it creates this this reinforcement feedback loop to where if i'm just talking to a bunch of you know lefties all day granted a lot of people actually disagree with me on the policy decisions that i would you know uh strive for mm-hmm. um that you know we're just gonna be over here jerking each other off and um and and that's not good that's not good to a to a a democracy and that's not good to a a society at large more than anything yeah it also very messy mm -hmm. yeah oh exactly exactly (laughs) (laughs) uh, taking that too literally sorry (laughs) i haven't had enough of these yet uh so um (laughs) But yeah, that's what happened with those echo chambers. And I've had so many discussions, you know, before I started the podcast, a lot of discussions with people online where I end up getting blocked and I'm not saying anything mean. I'm, in my opinion, I'm giving what I deem as facts. I give, I tend to rely on statistics and then I give my opinion based on those statistics. But it seems like people are so into their own world that they hear something on the outside and they blow a gasket. They don't necessarily know how to handle it. And then they'll just hit that block button and return to their bubble to where, where everybody agrees with them. And I, I think that is damning to them. I think it's damning to society in general that we're all, we're all receding into these echo chambers. And then when, with semp- censorship going on, you have these people that are saying, yeah, 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 censorship, kick these people out. Well, where are those people going to go? They're going to go somewhere and they're going to start they're going to start sharing their ideas in their little chamber where nobody can say anything against those ideas. So they can't fight bad ideas with good ideas because you've got this echo chamber of bad ideas where they get more and more radicalized. And then we don't even know who they are because they're not in the public anymore. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Uh, can, can I rant about censorship for you for your second? Uh, Absolutely. I, I heavily disagreed with your last guest um, on the, the solution to, Oh, you, you can't, um, just get off of Facebook or stop eating Chick-fil-A or, or, you know, get off of Amazon. That's, uh, that's honestly anti-American and I'll I'll tell you why. Okay. So in 1896, um, the, the election between William Jennings Bryan 
and William McKinley was a pivotal election. The United States essentially uh, was starting to show signs of going into a recession, which in fact turned into a Great Depression, as we all know, uh, 30 years later. Um, and essentially going off of, you know, the gold standard, uh, you know, that people were asking for, they were like, hey, we got to get off this gold standard. This doesn't make any sense because people are hoarding gold and gold. And who was, uh, who was the president at the time? Calvin Coolidge. And so follow me here. Follow me here. I'm and so, so in the 1890s, in the, early, in the late 19th and 20, early 20th century, it, is, it was extremely common to not only find Marxists, socialists, communists, uh, democratic socialists um, in places of power. Do you know where the birth of the labor movement was? Mm-mm. It was in Kansas. It was in Kansas. Uh, unions aren't as American as as apple pie and whatnot. And so you had William Jennings Bryan that was essentially castigated by the press that essentially was told, oh, he's a communist. He He's, uh, he's insane. Uh, that was a big one that they always wanted to, to paint against him. Uh, that he was insane, that anyone who didn't want to go come off the gold standard didn't have an economic education and therefore were, were you know, psychologically, you know, inept. Mm -hmm. And so the common man, I think, has a lot of, uh, of wisdom that we don't acknowledge. And so ultimately, as we know, William McKinley won out because uh, at the time, the culture war was essentially, um, you know, saying, hey, we don't need to come off the gold standard and that, you know, the rising prices of corn isn't a problem. Um, and, you know, the way bankers were screwing and, you know, arguably, quote unquote, raping farmers, um, you know, wasn't a problem either. And so these problems bubbled. They continued to raise. And as we both know, um after you know the great war world war one I, I mean shit got worse in the united states and, it, and it's funny because history rhymes and repeats so 20 years later under um uh president wilson uh he used the uh the espionage act to pretty much ban any speech to talk about the spanish flu that's why that that's why the spanish flu is the spanish flu because this uh, spanish press was the only ones that were reporting on it when in fact funny enough and ironic enough spanish flu started in kansas and so and through uh world war one uh the the um the united states military uh helped spread uh <laughs> the, the the spanish flu h1n1 throughout mm -hmm. western europe and whatnot oh, okay. and so I mean, one, censorship was an extreme problem under the Wilson administration. That That's extremely problematic that you were viewed as anti-American and therefore subject to uh, to jail time if you even talked about the Spanish flu because it was anti-American. Mm -hmm. And so we move forward, you know, in time, you know, uh, the Great, uh, Great Depression, you know, 10 years later. Because the Roaring Twenties, the Roaring Twenties, you know, you, you saw... You saw uh, incomes rise. You saw, um, you know, quality of life rise. Well, as we all know, bankers on Wall Street were pretty much putting up, you know, stocks that had no value. And 
And therefore, you know, pretty much everyone figured out, oh, crap, all these stocks, whether it was public utility companies or whether it was, you know, Standard Oil, none of these have any value. Um, and so in 1929, you know, the market crashed. And so FDR, um, you know, began campaigning, I believe, 19, what was it, 1932 election and whatnot. And his mandate was that he was going to change structurally the economic system that the United States had, that the the wealthy were, you know, not only destroying the country, which they arguably did, um, but they were taking, you know, their not their fair share. And so in 1932, when FDR won his presidency, I mean, he actually addressed the problems that the United States was facing. He arguably saved capitalism arguably save capitalism because imagine if he didn't if he did nothing the united states continued to go into you know destitution and desperation mm -hmm. what would those americans do you know they they would they would become they would uh turn to to robbing their neighbors robbing stores i can only imagine the 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 atrocities i mean just think about you know uh hoovervilles in 1930 and 31 you know these were slums that that had malaria you know a third world country disease you know rampant amongst these you know shanty towns and so I, i'm relating this to now because joseph biden our president views himself as the new fdr that he that he is going to structurally change the way things are in america and i'm going to tell you my listeners and your listeners that's not true he is not the fdr he is not going to save us um even though i agree with the american rescue plan to uh you know i don't think it goes far enough in fact um and we'll get into that you know here later but um you know unionization in the united states in the early 20th century was God, it's probably upwards of seventy percent. You know what it is now? I don't. Thirteen percent. Mm -hmm. It's absurd. And, and uh, wages have stayed stagnant from the nineteen seventies while productivity goes up. You know, so something's wrong. You know, something's wrong. And to to talk about the censorship aspect of it, I think Facebook, Amazon, Google, um, whatever tech monopoly, I could go into. You know wall street and the big banks and the financial sector but there's something incredibly insidious about the tech monopolies because they control every aspect of our life and to say to just leave facebook to just leave amazon hey just get off google that is that is not a realistic solution and in fact you know who agrees with me Who's that? The, one of the uh the executives of Facebook. In fact, not only the co-founder of Facebook agrees that we need to break up Facebook, but one of the current uh, chief executive, uh, I'm trying to think what his name was. I'm going to shoot you a link about the video. Uh, even though it was recorded by Project Veritas, which uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Project Veritas, they got one of Facebook's uh, executives on camera admitting that, hey, yeah, we got to break this up. Like this is, you know, clearly, you know, a monopolistic entity. Yeah. And the last 30 or 40 years of monopoly, uh, a pretty much antitrust law has been if it's good for the consumer, it's not a monopoly. And that's not true. That's not true because it is a policy failure when you have Facebook, Amazon, Google or any, you know, or Twitter, um, pretty much these unelected, um, you know, uh, executives and businesses that have no pretty much 
there's no recourse for me to go to Mark Zuckerberg and say, hey, that's not right because I didn't elect him because it's a policy failure. It's a policy failure when a tech monopoly or a tech giant is essentially legislating the First Amendment. That that just that's absurd. That's absolutely absurd. And I mean, there's a reason why we broke up Standard Oil. That's a reason why we broke up the telecom companies, because the concentration of power that they held pretty much rivaled the United States. And, and at the time, FDR and his administration saw that And every administration following from from FDR to Nixon pretty much held really strong antitrust powers in their administrations. Mm -hmm. And so it is absolutely absurd to view yourself as a consumer first, which, which I'm not disparaging your last guess, and an American second. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So I, I'm kind of wondering, so you were saying that you kind of disagree with the last guess. So that was um, one of the things that he was saying, which I, I disagree with the outcome, but I don't necessarily disagree with the premise. And so what he was saying was, for anyone that didn't hear, was that basically you can just, as, if, you're a, if you're a libertarian or you support, which him and I are both kind of in the area of the libertarian, if you support free market and you support individual rights, then you would support the their ability for them to have a their own business and they can do what they want with their platform and then they can kick people off. So one thing we didn't get into with him was the difference between a platform and a publisher, which it seems those big social media uh, corporations are kind of playing both sides of the fence as far as that goes. But you're saying that you, you disagree. And like I was saying, I, I disagree with the result of, them censoring people and kicking them off. But I, I have trouble uh, justifying an argument that says that they cannot do it because it is their own platform. And so as much as I disagree with their actions, they have the right to commit those actions in the same way that I would support, you know, what was the ACLU before they fought for the right of white supremacists to have a march. And even though I would 100% disagree with that march and I 100% disagree with all of those ideas, I would support the idea that everyone has the right to express themselves. Oh, for sure. Um, let me ask you the simple question. Mm -hmm. Would you rather Would you rather a President Joe Biden or a President Jeff Bezos? Which one would I rather have? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think I know enough about Jeff Bezos to to give an answer to that, but I I know there's a whole lot about Biden that I really don't like, and and I don't actually think it's necessarily Biden. I think it's the situation that he's got himself into, and I I, I mm, that's a hard question. I think it's mostly hard because I don't know Jeff Bezos enough. I, I really don't know enough about him. Okay, well, you guys pretty much, you know, replace Bezos with Zuckerberg or Dorsey or Sundar Pichai or, you know, any of them. The reason I'm asking. <clears throat> the problem is I, I have a high, very high amount of distrust for all of them. And I don't necessarily know what's what's worse. Yeah. Um, 
I I think it it would be absurd for either of us to say that um a president Mark Zuckerberg um or in this case I should have reframed the question because essentially right now you've got essentially two hegemonies competing against each other. You've got a rising hegemony um, in the global context between you know China and the United States, but the United States is dealing with an entire different problem of its own with these neo-feudal states like Facebook and private companies essentially ruling you know the way people rule and run their lives. And so I would rather have a duly elected Trump or Biden than I would to have to answer to a a pretty much a faceless person that I don't even know, like, you know, what his favorite color is, which I imagine I could look up Zuckerberg or Dorsey's favorite color, which I imagine they're blue. I don't know what's telling me that. But um, but, but no, these are unanswered. They, they don't answer to anyone. They, you know, for whatever reason, they could kick you or I off of their platforms for you know just depending on the way that we voted uh, and that's problematic you know they are essentially concentrating power and in interpreting first amendment legislation um you know are, are you familiar with the sherman antitrust act no and so the sherman antitrust act was utilized as a tool by the fdr administration and every administration from between i i I utilize these because I think this is where things start really going wrong is after Nixon. And so between, you know, um, FDR, well, hell, you can even go to Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, the great trust buster to where these people, if the hint of a concentration of power, power and wealth, they shut it down. They did not allow any concentration of power to rival the United States because they are not duly elected representatives of the people. Same thing with Facebook and Google. Their board members, they're not duly elected representatives. A bunch of them are a bunch of, you know, neoliberals that, you know, want market ideology to run everything. Uh, but, I mean, you have in their own circles they know that they are going to be broken up i think a good example of this of jeff is jeff bezos ste stepping down as a ceo uh because i think his role in the next 20 30 years as the richest man on earth uh, whether it's him or elon musk is going to be a very precarious role when the haves have way more which they already do than the have-nots but essentially i would rather the government actually do their fucking job and break these bastards up because everyone inside their companies knows they need to be broken up because they're legislating our bill of rights mm -hmm. like how is that okay that's that's in my opinion anti-american that there there's america like there's we've got to rethink what it means to pa be patriotic you know uh because i think whether it was COVID or really the last couple elections is that they showed that America is not number one anymore, and we haven't been for a long time, and that American exceptionalism is is not necessarily a myth, but it is more patriotic to show what you can improve on than just to say, "Hey, the way things are, are great." When one in one in three GoFundMe campaigns is for medical bills, mm, I didn't know that. Yeah, no. Hey, I, I encourage you to look this up as well. It is. It is devastating. When in May of last year, OnlyFans reported a 71 in 
71% increase in subscribers. Mm-hmm. Man, like the, the economic situations of Americans is continuing to get worse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether it is, you know, a concentration of, you know, tech oligarchies and tech monopolies, or essentially all industries, you know, coalescing together and in challenging the power of our government. I would rather, you know, whether I disagree with Biden or not, or disagree with Trump or not, I know a majority of Americans and my fellow Americans that I trust, you know, um, to make their own decisions, elected these people in a democratic process, whereas Facebook, Twitter, and the, the lot are not. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> when you pose the question with the, which president, if it's based on what we're dealing with now, then yeah, I would, I would say an elected president. I, I wasn't, I was thinking like if they, had, if they had been elected. Yeah. So, but yeah, obviously someone that's not elected and just having the control that they have, then obviously I would choose the, the elected representative. But, um, but what, what could we say? What would be a good argument for somebody this is something that I struggle with as well, because I do lean on the libertarian side and that this the same question I just kind of asked. And I guess I'm kind of reiterating it. Like, what, what can we actually say whether, whether or not our belief is that it's wrong, but what can we say to justify telling a, a private business that the decisions they make within their own platform are not acceptable I mean, or they, they're forced to change I, like the only thing that I can think of is government intervention, and I'm very against government intervention. So, so is there any way to do that without government inter- intervention? Uh, I, I think we we have to talk about what's the role of the state and and in people's lives and societies, you know. And what I see currently is a neo feudal state forming from these these oligarchies, whether ranging from tech to agriculture, that are controlling people's lives, and. You know, I mean, historically speaking, we've told businesses they can't do what they what they want to do, you know, for the last 150 years. And so it would not be out of the norm to go to Facebook, out of the norm to go to Twitter, out of the norm to go to Google and tell them, look, hey, y'all, y'all can't discriminate against people that don't, you know, ideologically agree with y'all or have a a viewpoint that is, uh, you know, out of the norm. If we're talking about, you know, people that, you know, believe a taxation is theft or b, like, you know, these these fringe ideas, you know, that that there is a a certain ethnicity that's running everything. Yeah, I don't think that you know they have any place um, on in the public. But the thing is, we can shine light on these. You know, put their ideas out there in the marketplace of ideas. If you want to talk about the marketplace. And so I think historically speaking, we've told businesses that they can't do certain things because it's anti-democratic and it's it's essentially has a deleterious effect on society, which I think we're currently seeing now with the hyper partisanship on both the left and the right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. OK, that ma- I mean, that makes sense. I, I guess I just struggle with the idea that, you know, something just because we've done something in the past would open the door to, hey, we've done it before. Let's do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how what you're saying kind of reads in my mind. And like, even though I, I agree with you, I'm also torn because I would prefer change for the better, which I guess in my opinion for the better that uh, the government doesn't have any power for to tell anyone necessarily how to run their business. And then 
you know, people can take examples of this and say, well, if they didn't do that, think about civil rights and how, you know, they force change and whatnot. Like I, I, I get that argument, but in 2021, I guarantee if a business opened that said whites only, it'd be out of business pretty quick. For sure. So I, I think the market would absolutely kill those, those sort of bad ideas. Um, and I, I, I would love the fact if it would be, you know, as easy as, okay, let's leave the platform. But like you're saying, it's, it's so massive. It's, it's just not as simple as let's go to another platform. And, you know, like I mentioned in, in the last podcast that, uh, you know, we, they tried to do that with parlor and they got kicked off the servers and they yeah. had to find, you know, a, a new way to even get online. So I don't know. I'm just torn with it. And I, 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 I like the conversation and I appreciate the ideas. It's, it's just oh, hard for me to c- reconcile with. I, I think there's two things. One, um, we bring back the Sherman Antitrust Act. Any any business that's participating in monopolistic anti-competitive behaviors, which all tech monopolies are doing, as we know, we break them up. Second, we do repeal Section 230. We pretty much ban them uh, from, hey, y'all want to yeah. actually act as a publisher and a platform at the same time? Get out of here. All right, and yeah. then three, there's something else that we have to do, term limits. And four would be a sub subsection, I guess, or three A is is banning this, you know, regulatory capture that we have in our government. You've got the um, pretty much people that go work for Amazon, that go work for Facebook. And then you know where they're working at next? The White House. And then after that, they go back to go back to the private sector. Like, that, that's absurd. You know, and I a majority of Americans want this, you know, and it's it's not happening. I I know why it's not happening because they they make the rules. They're not gonna you know limit their power, yeah. you know not because it's become this symbiotic relationship between business and government. Yeah. Not even business and government, monopolies in government, and it, it's uh it's a bleak outlook. It really is. It really is. So I think that those three or four things, if we do those things, I think we'd be set on a better path. But if we do nothing. If we choose to keep going down the road we're going, it is going to get worse. If you think January 6th was bad, mm-hmm. I, I think things will continue to get worse in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. What do you think people can do like for you know for that 230 what what can people do to try to step forward and say, "Hey, this is this is not okay." Like what is steps that we can all take to try to get that repealed and get it out of there so that these platforms can't take argue both sides and then get away with the stuff they're getting away with. Call your congressman, honestly, you know, uh, pretty much boy, it's going to take a new labor movement in the United States. Honestly, I think we're starting to see that, um, in small sections, whether it's, you know, the Bessemer, Alabama, um, you know, they're voting to unionize there at their plant. Or second, making more people aware, you know, and I, I think a lot of people aren't aware of Section 230 because when was that legislation passed in like 97, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm not sure when. And uh, it, it's, it's you know, the, there's a, because I, I can't reiterate this enough because doing nothing is worse than doing something and whatnot. I, it is, it is. It is going to get bad. 
is going to get bad if we choose not to repeal Section 230. If you don't, hey, it starts in conversations like this, and it starts with conversations with your friends and family, telling them, hey, look, you know, I saw that. Um, you know, I want you want to talk to you about something. What do you think about people getting removed off of social media platforms mm-hmm. for, you know, their viewpoints? And I'm not talking about the people saying, you know, the these whether it's racist, bigoted, or xenophobic things on these platforms. I'm talking about people that are expressing their views um, that are getting, whether it's demonetized on YouTube or pretty much, you know, kicked off mm-hmm. of, uh, of Twitter. And uh, it, it's, it, it's all problematic. It is extremely problematic because in the marketplace of ideas, I do believe that the better policy wins. And that is typically the most popular policy. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Trump should have been kicked off the platforms that he was kicked off of? Man, I'll answer that real quick. Fuck no. That's, uh, that's absurd. Mm-hmm. You're telling me the duly elected president of the United States, the most powerful nation on earth, is can't you know uh speak his voice and and the funniest thing is let's 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 compare it to this why do they have you know um i don't even know if i can make the comparison given where you're at um but you know (laughs) muhammad bin salman i'll use that one muhammad bin salman who is you know responsible responsible for the yemen genocide right now or killing jamal khashoggi you know um Hell, Saudi Arabia, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, eight of the 11, 9-11 hijackers were, were from Saudi Arabia and whatnot. And these people can have a voice and have a say on their platform. Mm-hmm. That's, that's absurd. That's absolutely absurd. And what he said, like, uh, what, 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 what did he get kicked off for? I don't remember. Well, he got kicked off and then he came back on and then he said something else and got kicked off again. But it was basically talking about the election being stolen and repeatedly saying that that was true. And then based, I, I, you know, I don't know if, if the January 6th hadn't happened, it, maybe that magnified it and they say, Oh, well, he's responsible for uh, what's the word that they use. Uh, Insurrection. Yeah, yeah. That and uh, his rhetoric is dangerous and this and that and it caused all this stuff to happen. I, it, but at the same token, he, he came on. So his second video before, uh, when he got back on and he posted the next video, he's telling people to go home, go home peacefully. And he did say, oh, we love you, but go home. And I was kind of astonished when I was listening to him. I was waiting for the thing that, like the big trigger moment, and I just never saw it. you know. And, and then when I went through and I read the speech, you know, I listened to the speech uh, or what people said about the speech and then I went and read the speech I was kind of astonished that the label that he was being blamed and I don't know you might disagree with me for the, for this I, I don't know but I didn't see anything in that speech that was any different than the rhetoric coming from Congress and other politicians every single day saying fight for this and and the fact that he even said peacefully and patriotically kind of like threw out like all unknowns for me. It's like, okay, we well, even said peacefully and patriotically march and let your voices be heard. I think that's almost the exact quote that he made in that speech. And then being kicked off social media, coming back on, and then and then saying that, yes, everything was stolen, but you know we need to move on, go home, this and that. And then he's booted off everything. And I, obviously I'm paraphrasing here because I can't memorize it, exactly what was said, but I, I was kind of astonished by all of it. 
But I uh, know. So talking about January sixth, mm-hmm. do you um are you familiar with the Air Force veteran uh, Ashley Babbitt who was killed? Um, I'm, not, I'm not very familiar. I've read some things, but again, I don't trust anything I read without looking into it, and I didn't further look into it. So, you know, the stuff yeah. that I read was kind of negative stuff about her and her ideology and her beliefs. And I'm sure that I, I don't even remember where I got it from, but you know, I don't let that hold any weight. Cause I honestly, I just don't trust any outlets I read stuff from. Yeah, no, um, it, you can look this up too. Uh, cause I, I, you know, I've, I've been doing a, uh, pretty much a lot of reading and writing on, you know, the last 30, 40 years in the United States. Why have we got to the point that we've got, you know, and why are Americans, you know, storming the capital of the United States? The last time that happened was when, you know, the Redcoats came over and burned our, our, our state house down. And what has happened for them to make these decisions? And it, it all goes back. It, it all goes back, you know, to their economic situations, typically. Um, and then pretty much they, they feel that things are, you know, becoming more and more existential in their lives. Ashley Babbitt was an Obama voter in 2012 and i believe in 2008 she voted for obama as well how does someone go something i never even heard so yeah so how how does how does someone go from voting for obama feeling hope and change Mm -hmm. to to not and um i believe in 2013 she had lost her business uh 2013 2014 she lost her business after you know uh, years of the financial crisis and, you know, Wall Street just getting away with doing what they do every seven years. Right. <laughs> and uh, and so so Ashley Babbitt, an Air Force veteran, a, you know, for all intents and purposes, I would say a Democrat, given that she voted for Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, she she storms the Capitol. What's six years later and whatnot. And that that's extremely problematic. That's extremely problematic, you know. Yeah. And, and in Trump's speech at first, when I had heard it, um, you know, I, I do think his speech was problematic, you know, it was, um, it was inflammatory, but I, I don't think what we can say, if we're going to hold people accountable for every inflammatory thing they say, there's a whole lot of congressmen that need to be locked up. Mm-hmm. So what, yeah, sorry to interrupt uh, you. No, 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 you're fine. You're fine. Um, I agree. Um, I think, however, these people that, you know, have, you know, I, I'm going to call them brainwashed. I do believe QAnon uh, conspiracy theories has brainwashed, you know, a lot of people because uh, they're desperate. Yeah. They have nowhere else to turn to, nowhere else to go because their economic situation for the last, you know, 10 years has gotten worse. In the last 20 years, it's continued to gotten worse. And their, their opportunities and their real wage income has gone down. They continue to get worse and worse health care. They continue and continue to pretty much their taxes go into this black hole and they don't see anything for it because their infrastructure is failing. And so, you know, Donald Trump, um, I, I, I do think his speech was problematic. I'm I I'm torn on whether to call it, you know, um, insurrection like uh, speech. Um, I do think. Uh, you know, he does hold some responsibility. I'll agree with Mitch McConnell on, on something for once in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to go as far as impeaching the guy again, I, do, I don't think that does nothing to help and uh, boost the social cohesion of Americans in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because things have become more and more partisan. However, what is the solution? Because, uh, I, I mean... 
you've got, you know, pretty much senators like Ted Cruz. Unfortunately, that's my senator. <laughs> and, um, uh, and Josh Hawley, which I love Josh Hawley, by the way, on certain things. I mean, him and Bernie Sanders have a lot of overlap uh, than they do, you know, uh, especially when it came to uh, stimulus checks with the, the second round of the CARES Act. If it wasn't for those two, you know, uh, Americans earning under $75,000 or $80,000 wouldn't have gotten a stimulus check if it wasn't for those two. Mm-hmm. Um, however, with with them, you know, constantly saying the election is rigged, the election is rigged, the election is rigged. You know, I'm not going to go as far as saying, you know, they're gobbles and, you know, saying uh, if you say a lie enough, it becomes the truth. But I mean, that does have an impact on the psyche of Americans. and They're going to continue to repeat that. And yeah. so I, I don't know what the solution was, because ultimately, I mean, let's be honest, he need they needed 17 Republicans to come over uh, on the side of conviction. And so what do you do when you convict, you know, um, a, a president of uh, insurrection on the merits mm-hmm. on the merits of it i do agree that hey if we are going to start holding people accountable for you know um not only political speech but also inflammatory speech we need to do it across the board because i think that's something that's problematic is that a majority of americans whether on the right or the left feel like they're not uh, that, that, you know, our politicians are hypocrites and that people are hypocrites. Well, hey, you know, so-and-so said fight for this. I know the, the most common one that came out was Kamala Harris saying uh, we're going to continue to fight, um, you know, and they're going to continue. I think in the context of the George Floyd riots, uh, they're going to continue to, you know, be out there burning shit down and, you know, destroying businesses. Um and so that that's problematic. We need to to pretty much have a standard and we need to hold every leader to this standard. We can't just, you know, decide. Yeah. Um, but when does that start? Does that start with the second impeachment of Donald Trump or do we hold someone else accountable when the next time come around comes around? Do you think there's a difference between. So one of the conflicts that I had was I. I I have trouble separating the fact that when from the time that Trump was elected almost for four four years straight, even two weeks before the election, Hillary was still saying that she had the election stolen from her. And then we have numerous situations and uh, uh, you know trials, I guess you'd call it with the the Russian uh, situation and saying that the Russians helped Trump win the election. Where do you do you draw a line between there that there is a sorry my dog is off me again uh, do, do you draw a line in, uh, that there's a difference between Trump saying hey this election is stolen and for the last four years people on the left saying that the it was stolen in a different way from them because to me it's just it's like potato potato it's okay he's saying that it was stolen through this election process, but you guys are saying it's stolen because of foreign agents and blaming Trump at being a foreign asset. And Hillary's repeatedly for four years saying that it was stolen from her, but nobody's, you know, if, if an extremist from the left happened to go crazy, which we have seen this happen when AOC said that, you know, the, the migrant, the ice was comparing ice to Nazis and the con and concentration camps. And then Bernie Sanders saying that Republicans wanted uh, uh, were basically 
uh, I can't remember the, exactly what he said, but I'm going to paraphrase here. So correct me if you know I'm wrong, but saying something about Republicans not caring if people die because of health insurance issues. And then we have the Bernie Sanders supporter going and shooting up the congressional baseball game. So you have stuff like that happening. Uh, but I don't see an equal outlook towards yeah. those sort of events. But Trump now for a few months says, hey, there was fraud in the election and I believe it was stolen. And suddenly he's responsible for any interaction that happens from that point. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think one, we, we do need to, uh, you know, we've got to go through a timeline of this, so to say. So um, in 2016, um, you know, people pretty much all the polls predicted correctly that Hillary would win the popular vote, which she did. Mm -hmm. um, they, they got wrong through the electoral college, right? And so in 2016, people began asking themselves, you know, why would, you know, anyone vote for a reality TV show star versus, you know, a elder states woman um, in a national election? And they they want to they, they want to make it to, to where it wasn't their fault, that it wasn't their fault that they lost the election, that it was uh, it was. Russian agents it was uh, you know the Iranians it was anyone else and yes there there was election interference to where you know there's dif disinformation campaigns there's by Vladimir Putin or even you know the Iranians and another group that I can't say um, and, and um, to not recognize that would would you know not be giving the whole whole picture uh -huh. and so these policy decisions over the last 30, 40 years, um, I, I think, I mean, again, you know, Americans have become even more desperate. Uh, the, you know, the, the debt load of, of, of household incomes or, you know, median household incomes is continuing to rise. I think it's stagnated in 20, 2018, 2019. Um, and I mean, people's opportunities and their outlooks have become more and more bleak and nihilistic. And again, like I mentioned that stat earlier, only 13% of Americans feel that they're engaged and valued at, at their workplace. Uh -huh. And that's a problem. That's a that's a huge problem, you know. And we're going amongst the, the greatest transformation of our workplaces. It's the fourth industrial revolution. And so let's go back four years, you know, when, um, when Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton were running. And, um, you know, I voted for Bernie. Uh, I, I, I did. You know, hell, I voted for him in this last one. And, and, um, and the, reason, the reason being is because, I mean, if you told me, if you told me in the year 2000, let's look at the year 2000, George Bush and Al Gore, you know, two establishment candidates. Mm -hmm. Let's fast forward 16 years. That two, I don't think John, Donald Trump was a populist candidate because he didn't follow through on any actual popular legislation, uh, but a faux populist. But you have two populists in the race. That says something. That that really does. That, I mean, you know, whether you disagree with them or not, hey, they actually say what they mean and they mean what they say. And that's what they saw in candidates like Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. And that's, you know, why... I have, you know, a lot of respect for, for both of them. And so 
Hillary Clinton and Clintonism, she viewed it as a, uh, her losing the election was a repudiation of her, her and her husband and essentially her entire, you know, Democratic establishment. Because uh, how does someone, a Vermont senator, rival the, you know, someone who's been in politics for, what, 30, 40 years, if not longer? And shit just hasn't changed, right? And so let's fast forward, you know, through 2016 to 2020, as we both know, the media pretty much capitalized on, you know, uh, demonizing Trump. And whether it was for good or bad is a different discussion. But I mean, just look at the current stats. Pretty much 43% of viewership has gone down across the board in CNN, MSNBC, and whatever other, you know, mainstream uh, media news network, because they are, they are floundering to mm-hmm. find anything to demonize Biden on. It's, it's kind of hard. The guy's pretty milk toast, right? And, um, <laughs> and, and it's, uh, it's a, one, it's an indictment of the establishment of how they've been running the country because the experts, the people that apparently, Oh God, apologize. <laughs> the experts, the, the experts have been, you know, running the show. Well, they continue to fuck shit up. They continue to be bulls in China shops that have real consequences. Uh, you can literally see And I know correlation doesn't equal causation, mm-hmm. but from the 1981 Reagan tax cuts, all the way to 2016 you have this downward trend you know when deaths of despair start rising no in the 90s and they continue to rise from 99 to present and so you've got the 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 tax burden on our top income earners you know going down when you, you know i pay a higher effective tax rate than Jeff Bezos, I believe I pay, was it 24.2% and he pays 23.1%, you know? So um, the, these these problems continue to compound, you know? Um, and and I, think, I think people actually want structural change and that's what they saw in Donald Trump. They wanted change because these politicians that have been in power again have been screwing them over. They've been, you know, robbing them out from the back door while distracting them with these culture war issues that honestly don't affect their material well-being. And I and you know, I do think that there are, you know, culture war issues that matter, but I think if you do solve the economic issues, they will they will then in turn improve the material well-being and the lives of Americans. And so Trump gets elected in 2017, 2018, 2019. I mean, he did anything what any establishment Republican would do fucking tax cut right <laughs> and so and so um i i i think you know 2020 and uh 2020 was essentially if covid didn't happen i honestly believe that donald trump would be the president of the united states right now and i mean he said it himself best you want to know who got robbed of the election he said it he says it a million times Bernie Sanders, because I mean, there, there's a really good book that I just started reading this last week. It's called Lucky, uh, the presidency of Joe Biden, how he barely scraped by his teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, cause what what Democratic candidate has won, you know, the first three primaries and has not become the president? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's, it's a, a lot of really weird. I, I mean, this kind of goes back to. Uh, you know, Trump's accusations and stuff a lot as well. There was a lot of things that 
happened for the first time that didn't align. And I didn't know we were going to be talking about this, so I didn't prepare them. I can't remember everything, but you know, there was, there was a lot of firsts as far as like uh, losing seats. And then he underperformed in like almost every area of Obama, except in swing States where in those particular places, he's, he way overperformed in just the right locations. And so for a lot of people, that's suspicion, like, okay, well, going with that and then suddenly overnight, you know, I'm sure you know all the accusations and whatnot, and you see the graph with Biden suddenly taking the lead. You see people like these sort of things lead people to have their beliefs of what happened or what right or wrong or or whatnot. And so there there was a lot of small things. And then with all the law changes beforehand, which yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with the Time magazine article, the the secret campaign to save the 2020 election. Are you aware of that article? No, no, no. Tell me about that. It's it's really interesting. Actually, I did an episode with a buddy of mine, and we kind of we had this agenda. We're like, okay, let's go through this article. Let's break it down. And we tried the first time. We got completely sidetracked. Went down a rabbit hole. And was like, okay, let's go for it again the next day. And then still, there's just so much to talk about when you start reading through this article. Um that we just couldn't get through it. And then we planned to go back to it and we didn't quite get to finish it. So we kind of just rushed through it at the end. But basically this article is talking about uh, this plan to make sure that they can save the election by making sure that Trump lost. And it goes through a lot of uh, strategies used uh, to change laws before the election and um, get corporations and people on board with all coming together which on, on one hand, if you're on the left, I, I get the arguments. Okay, well, this is just the, how campaigning works and you're following the law. No one broke any laws. But then on the other side, if you had Trump saying, if these same accusations were pulled against Trump and it was saying, oh, well, he, he rounded up people and through his power and intimidation, he was able to get laws changed. And so they changed the rules of the game that made it more likely that he could win. I guarantee there would be numerous investigations into him and and how his abuse of power and all kinds of things if you had people within his campaign doing this. So it, it, I, I'm butchering it a bit. You'd have to go in and read it. It's, it's kind of long, but it's very interesting to read through in the way that they they did it. And it talks about the, you know, with all the rights in the summer that they had the ability to call on these rights to happen and they had them ready to go during the election and that's why suddenly during this these three days of wait time suddenly riots everything just suddenly stopped because they have everybody on hold and i was astonished that i was reading this and so that to me says okay these riots that happened all year that are claiming there is no power structure there isn't a actual organization leading all of this and you have some people saying antifa doesn't exist ideas it's just an idea. It's not a real thing. But you have the situation where you've got someone in power that is able to say, I'm going to send this message. And if I send this message, then we go out and we protest. But they did not do it during this time because they didn't want to risk riots because they know every time they do it, it turns into riots. Mm-hmm. So that means, you know, I'm just kind of connecting the dots. That means as you have these things happening, you're willingly saying that if you had lost, you'd push this button, you send out this message to these people that you know are going to go just destroy cities, causing billions of dollars in destruction, causing death, police deaths, c- civilian deaths, 
but you're going to do it because you lose. I, it, it's very telling and, and you'd have to go read it and mm -hmm. uh, get, you know, what I'm talking about. Cause I'm, I'm obviously being very vague and going through it quickly, but no, I, no, no. I, I was shocked when I read it. It's to me, if this article had come from any area on the right or anyone on, on that side, there would be outrage about the corruption built into the system and how they changed the rules of the game to ensure that Trump would win. But mm -hmm. instead it was on the left. And so the media ran with it as this saved the election to make sure it was honest and secure, which yeah. I thought was very corrupt in my opinion. Yeah. Um, man, I, I think simply, um, people wanted Trump to be presidential in one of the most, you know, dire moments. Um, I, I honestly think that his handling of COVID was, you know, I, I'm not one of those lefties that said, you know, like, oh, he's not, you know, doing enough, like, late in the game. I, you know, there's a, there's a good book that I encourage you to read. It's The Great Influenza. It talks about the Spanish flu pandemic. And um, Get Well Soon is another one that talks about epidemics and pandemics, you know, throughout time. Mm -hmm. And back in, back, you can ask anyone that knows me the, or knows me. Uh, the way I was acting in December, in December about COVID, you know, once uh, a certain country started welding people into their homes, um, I was like, Jesus Christ, like, guys, this is bad. If you've ever seen Contagion, it is, you know, like, it, that, that movie actually disturbed me back, that movie came out back in 2011. It's essentially, you okay. know, what, there was a modern Spanish flu-like, you know, virus uh, that, you know, became a global pandemic and had the same, you know, mortality rate in the same virulency as, you know, uh, the Spanish flu. And, you know, from the beginning, you know, I was saying, hey, all countries need to lock down their borders. Nobody needs to be doing international travel. We need to start a mass testing, uh, you know, program in the United States. We need to start manufacturing all these things. Mm -hmm. uh, and something that COVID showed is that the United States doesn't make a fucking thing anymore. <laughs> and we essentially rely on a certain country uh, for manufacturing these goods. And that's bad for national security. And so I I think with, well, honestly, I think simply put, Trump lost because of COVID. I really do. Like, I, I think, uh, you know, whether it was my small survey or any surveys of, you know, his handling of COVID, a majority of Americans wish he would have done more and done more sooner. And I don't think the mainstream media was fair because on one hand, as we both know at the beginning, they were calling him a racist and a xenophobe for, you know, cutting off travel to countries, which these identitarians, as I call them, that's all they fucking care about. Yeah. And, and on the other hand, I mean, it, it, people don't look at these things from an objective viewpoint. It only makes sense to do that. If anyone studied, you know, pandemics and epidemics throughout history, I mean, look at cholera in London. That was horrible. Look at tuberculosis, typhus. Spanish flu is the most popular one. Um, you know how many people, if Spanish flu happened today, you know how many people it would killed? I don't. Probably a lot. 100, 150 million people. And this is not to discredit COVID. My mother got COVID in October. You know, and um, actually in August, she was, you know, hospitalized for, God, 40, 44 days, um, you know, there for a second, you know, I was, you know, faced with the mortality of my parents. And that's something that us as children will always have to go through. 
but I can't imagine, you know, the, the 2 million, uh, it's like 2.6 million worldwide that have had to say goodbye to their friends and family. And, um, you know, hindsight is 2020. Uh, of course, it's easy for me to sit here and say that we could have done more, which I know we, we, we both know we could have. But I think the system structurally is where the sickness lies. You know, it's not profitable to store and house masks and ventilators and testing kits. Um, it, it just, you know, it, the, the profit motive um, just isn't there for these companies to do. And so I think something that does need to be fixed is, hey, you know, pandemics and epidemics will happen. It's a guarantee. It's happened all throughout time from the Justinian plague to COVID-19. And it's uh, it should be a part of, you know, national security because it destroys economies. It it wrecks them and it, uh, it not only kills people, uh, but the long term health effects are going to, you know, make healthcare costs go up for, you know, to, uh, for millions of people that not only get it, but that that also, you know, die and whatnot. And so I, I think Trump lost because COVID. I really do. Like, I, I think. Uh, you know, the Heritage Foundation did a really good study on uh, voter fraud. You're more than likely, and they're a conservative think tank in Washington. They found that you're more than likely to get struck by lightning than, you know, voter fraud to actually happen. Because voter fraud is something that is measurable, is something that we can catch. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think, you know, when I, I talk to my dad, my dad is a right wing, you know, Bill O'Reilly um, you know, he was a Ted Cruz. He was a Ted Cruz Republican, and then he became a Trump Republican. And so I, do you know the I'll do it live. I'll do it live. Fuck it, I'll do it live. You know, I love that. Right, I love Bill O'Reilly. It's the first thing I go to. I'll do it live. <laughs> and um, and yeah, and so um, you know, my father was is a is a truck driver. My grandfather was a truck driver. And my great grandfather was a truck driver. Both my grandfather and great grandfather were Teamsters. They were in unions. My father isn't. You know, my father makes a really good living. He makes six figures driving a truck. However, let me ask you this: You think in twenty years you'll be able to drive a truck for a living? I would say no. Exactly. And so twenty years, I would think, based on where it seems automation is going. But exactly. And so I think that our economy is changing so fast. You know, if you would have asked me if I could talk to a, a, a person in China, you know, and actually have a, a one-on-one discussion with them, you know, when I was a kid, you know, that was something that I would have to go and do. Like I would have to fly to China and then we would have to sit and, you yeah. know, have a whole production set up and do. If you told me that I had more computational power in a little black brick then then uh pretty much the challenger spaceship oh i would have been hey you're smoking something we are living in the future we're yeah. living in a time of bitcoin and nfts we're living in a time of electric vehicles and the and the economy is changing and more, most importantly that is going to uh, undermine the working class. You know, I think there are actual policy solutions to address the material well-being because uh, do you know what the top top five, six jobs in the United States are? The top five or six jobs in the U.S.? I mean, I mean, I assume they must be trade jobs, right? But I'm not sure which ones. Cashiers. 
<laughs> cashier, I believe, is the number one job and whatnot. And that that is, yeah. let's be honest, we're seeing. Well, that's I, completely automated almost. Like, I, I mean, it's the closest one to being completely automate, automated. Exactly. Um, and then if you continue to go down, it's more, you know, service, you know, sector jobs that are going to be automated out of existence. I think number five, six is a retail associate. And it's um, it's bad news. It's bad news because we're not doing anything to actually address it. Because, uh, you know, if you ask me in 2016, if something that I learned about in college, you know, which when I learned it in college, it was called unconditional basic income, um, but, you know, has now been popularized by uh, Bert, or not Bernie Sanders, Andrew Yang, um, you know, would actually, I would see in my lifetime, I, I wouldn't believe you. But the Overton window has shifted so much that, I mean, it is the most popular policy and I think, modern American legislation. You know, the, the uh, direct payments, the stimulus checks are the most popular legislation, you know. Mm -hmm. And, um, hell, Donald Trump, it, I, I'll give him credit on this. I mean, hell, he wanted $2,000 checks. Real two thousand dollar checks, not six hundred plus fourteen hundred, um, and um, and and there's um, that's the thing that uh, I don't think a lot of of liberals, leftists, whatever you want to call them, uh, partisans, I think is the easiest easiest you know way to describe them. Yeah. Give them credit on is that he had a really good political compass he knew what the people wanted he wanted to get us out of afghanistan and iraq but unfortunately he listened to the generals and the military industrial complex to keep him in syria to keep him in iraq and afghanistan when a majority of people don't want us over there i don't want us over there because i mean our tax dollars are going um you know pivoted from that to where it could be actually we could see something you know materially here you know uh it's hell I think the the lower estimates of the 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 war in Iraq and Afghanistan are as low as a hundred billion dollars and upward estimates of three trillion dollars, and and that alone, you know, could pay for for rebuilding our infrastructure, and and I think people are starting to say, hey, they're starting to ask these questions. Why are we there? Because you've got fathers who were there in two thousand three, and their sons are going in the same route. And, and and that's there, there's something there there's something wrong and if we analyze this that you know um, it, you know a lot of my research unfortunately is the the two hegemonies in the world right now um, the United States and, and China and so uh, currently speaking we are um, we are in what's called a Thucydides trap where essentially how does the ruling hegemony respond to the rising one and what a lot of you know my contemporaries don't know is that hey you know china's economy is actually you know larger than ours when uh, when measured in ppp purchasing parity power and um, i don't know if you know what that is or if your listeners know what that is but um, i'll explain it briefly mm -hmm. you have a basket of goods in in a country so let's say hamburgers tvs computers, etc. And you have the same basket of goods in, let's say, just the United States. If we compare the two, the, uh, China has a larger purchasing power parity than the United States. And so, one, they already have, you know, metrics 
larger than than ours and what does that mean to americans that you know have you know been uh, i'm going to say brainwashed into american exceptionalism you know that america is the number one country in the world when we rank where, where do we rank on the freedom index i think it's number 25 you know um we rank you know like i was saying earlier number 11 in healthcare outcomes and then number one in in cost we we continue to rank in the bottom you know quartiles in education and, and whatnot and and it's not that i'm over here you know just saying this to disparage my country i love my country uh -huh. i think it's the most patriotic thing to see what i can improve on in my country and to to say we can't do anything that we've got to demonize Trump, that we've got to demonize Bernie Sanders or just demonize anyone that actually want to change the status quo is extremely problematic. And it's these conversations just aren't having enough or happening enough, you know, uh, because these these Americans in the working class are going to get left behind. You know, the the number one indicator of your income potential is a four years bachelor's degree. And that's that's just the truth, and it's it's extremely it's 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 very it's it's extremely problematic when the not only is that the number one indicator of not only who you're going to vote for, how much money you're going to earn, but essentially, you know where you're going to end up in life, and the and the cost of college has become more and more and more expensive. Hell, when I was in college. When you were in college, it's gotten more expensive, man. Yeah. And and we're we're and this is what I was talking about in that email when I when I say we're 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 Americans are feeling that the American dream is becoming more and more out of reach. Uh -huh. Let let me let me ask you this: What do you define as the American dream? Uh, actually, this is one of the things that I have listed. That I wanted to ask you about, and I. Think that maybe we'll disagree a little bit on this because I see the American dream as having the potential or unlimited potential, and so an individual does not have barriers in front of them that prevents them from be able being able to strive for their dreams. Not everybody, obviously, is going to reach the point that they want to get to, but there isn't necessarily something built into the system, a law or a regulation that stops them. From being able to pursue those things. So I was a little bit uh, not necessarily surprised because I, I think I hear this a lot, but that the American dream is not what it's made out to be, which I think there's some truth to that, but that it can't necessarily be achieved. But it seems like most times that that argument is made, it's kind of made through anecdotal uh, assertions rather than looking at the summation of everybody and saying, okay, well, you can absolutely start at the bottom and you can end up being a billionaire. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, however, um, I, I don't think that's, uh, yes, anecdotal, uh, there are anecdotal stories of what can, you know, people can and can achieve, but the more that we, you know, put our, our system under a microscope, Economic freedom, I think we rank six out of, you know, top 25 nations and whatnot, you know. Um, I th The number one indicator, again, is, you know, the, the education level that you achieve is going to be how much, you know, income potential that you have. 
know what's sad is the majority of my my friends um, that graduate college are not using their their degree. Um, they, whether they're STEM majors or whether whether they're you know the gender studies majors. I was just gonna say, are they gender study majors? Uh, and, and so, <laughs> I think you know um, there's there's definitely you know we put this under a microscope. You know, more and more Americans are becoming more and more desperate, whether they're in the working class or, you know, they're trying to work their way into the middle class. Education has become so expensive that it's become a poll tax to, you know, being a top income earner and whatnot. Why is education get, becoming more expensive? It's not like knowledge has gotten any better in the last 20 years. Well, so, I can give my opinion as to why, which I. I what's that? Tell me, I, I, I want to I I, know. I mean, from my understanding and sorry, I'm not going to cite anything when I go through this, but my understanding is that uh, when education became a thing that was government funded, so it's like, oh, we're going to give you loans and able to go, then the cost of school shoots up because now you have government paying for school. You have all kinds of different methods that students are using to get funding to go to school. If that didn't exist, and students were simply responsible for their own education, there's no possible chance that, that these schools would be able to charge the amount they charge because they would, they would completely collapse because no one would be able to go. It's too expensive for an individual to pay. But if you're able to get these loans and the government sponsoring the loans, then uh, it, it allows them to slowly boost the price over and over because you say, oh, well, we've got daddy paying for everything. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, one, uh... Uh, tuition costs have increasingly gone to uh, facilities, um, you know, and and I was one of the few that was able to take advantage of these new, uh, you know, $600 million facilities that these universities are building. And so it's essentially become an entertain entertainment venue. How do we get, you know, more alumni, you know, back here to contribute dollars to, to our universities? And yeah, no, I think that we do need to address the the government backed loans. But it, it's not that's not only inflating it, but essentially these institutions that that are building these lavish and luxurious, you know, whether it's football stadiums, track stadiums, you know, rec centers, you know, all this other extraneous bullshit that does nothing to actually, you know, go towards your education. And so, you know, I I mean. <coughs> I've had this uh this little tickle in the back of my throat now for the last day. Maybe I got COVID. I hope I don't. <laughs> you know, um, hopefully not. I won't make any jokes about it. Man, if I do, I swear I'm gonna shoot you an email and be like, "Hey, hey <laughs> you know, you got to go get quarantined now." <laughs> <laughs> Might have come to the mic. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. But I'm, I mean, you know. If if we if we strictly talk about potential of of ha becoming a billionaire mm -hmm. and not addressing the basics, because I, I agree that, yes, in the United States, I have the potential to become a millionaire and a billionaire. That's great. That's awesome. However, the basics in the United States aren't covered, whereas in, in whether it's countries like China whether it's countries Australia, New Zealand, um, you know, Western Europe, United Kingdom, the basics are covered for them. They typically these these in these other countries they enjoy uh, 
they they have well, it's gross domestic happiness. It's this new metric that's uh, been been uh, touted for the last you know ten years and how we're measuring how people are becoming you know more. That, that must be a poll, right? Uh, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna find the stat for you and whatnot. But typically, typically speaking, most of people in other countries are happier than Americans. You know. <laughs> Let me give my opinion on that really quick because I, I I went through some of these polls and I was like, man, this is astonishing. America sucks. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> but when I I started going into it and reading a bit more about it and it kind of discounted all of these polls because I got an example that I was reading. And uh, let's just say on Hocus Pocus Island, okay, yeah. I'm just going to make up something not to disparage anybody, but just made up island, whatever. They have uh, an individual that they believe has magical powers. And that individual does their best to make sure that everybody's staying helpful, healthy. And for the most part, their community is help, healthy. No. So if you go to that community and you say, how is your health care? And they say, well, this witch doctor over here is keeping us healthy. And he does a magic spell whenever we get sick. And we usually get healthy. It's not very often that we die from the sickness until we're, you know, of age or something like that. You know, we die at old age. And so this community has a poll. Oh, well, nine out of 10 are happy with their health care. To me, that means nothing because they're happy with their health care means they're happy within the situation that they're, they're in. But if they were to suddenly experience something completely different and they'd say, oh, wow, our health care was really bad before. If that makes sense. Yes and no, um, man. Um, the uh, the healthcare reform, uh, whether you want to go to a Singapore model or to you know a NHS model like the UK, uh, dig the goblet. By the way, um, <laughs> it broke this morning. You can see I've. Oh, son of. That's why I was late this morning. I I turned my chair and it knocked it off the table and it broke in half. And I was like, oh, and then my drink spilled on my keyboard my keyboard quit working so yeah. i've been like airing it out because i couldn't get my stuff to work so it took i was suddenly delayed by like an extra 30 minutes mm -hmm. sorry for the side trip no 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 you're fine you're fine uh but all you know i think all stats you know it, the thing about stats is you know i can say all these numbers and essentially they have no meaning to your listeners um it is a bipartisan issue here in the united states that we need to fix our goddamn healthcare system it is it is absurd it would be it would be absurd for anyone to to tell me that we do not have a profit driven healthcare system when i can drive 150 miles to mexico to get the same medications for pennies on the dollar um and then or go back to texas and get the same medication for whether it's dozens of dollars or hundreds of dollars or go on a trip to spain for a week and get not only the same cost of a knee surgery um, but I get to get to enjoy Spain and whatnot. I'm not sure if they're they're allowing Texans back in into the country, given uh, us lifting uh, mask mandates and whatnot. Yeah. But the 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 problem is is that more and more Americans are feel and and rightly so that our healthcare system is, is it's a racket, is a profit driven system that not only we get worse healthcare outcomes, or but it costs more. Um, whether you nationalize our healthcare system or you go to the Singapore model, which is actually a libertarian, you know, market-driven uh, system that 
pretty much pits public hospitals or public institutions against private institutions. Whatever the way we could drive healthcare costs down, it, it is absurd that healthcare costs in the United States, you know, bankrupt families and, and loved ones in this country. I think so. The the top three. The top three uh, classifications of debt in the United States, number one is mortgages, number two is student loans, and number three is medical debt, you know, and medical debt is something that's unheard of in other industrialized nations. Mm -hmm. And it, I don't think it's an insane idea to, to guarantee, you know, healthcare as a human right. I really don't, you know, seeing whether it's my mom, you know, be dipped into hundreds of thousands of dollars into medical debt. Or, you know, stories like, uh, you know, I, I met a, a friend of my dad's a few weeks ago and he just got died. He just got cancer again. He was in remission for three or four years. Cancer came back. And to even to even start the chemo treatment, he needed eight thousand dollars. That that was that was pretty much um, the deductible that he had to meet. Wow. Who do you know has eight thousand dollars on them? You know? The, the average American can afford a $400 emergency expense. Yeah. Like What is it, like 70%? I don't remember the number now. It's been so long, but I feel like it was like 70, 75% or something of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck or something, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah, no, it's 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 in the 70th, if not 80, 80th percentile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I it, it's, it's weird because when we look at median household income, Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm not mistaken, median household income in the United States is $65,000 and some change. If you could clarify or if you could. I feel like I just read something that said it was 80, but 80 sounded high. I'm trying to see if I actually, I've got a thing pulled up here uh, on my screen, but uh, I've, got, I've just got, you know, you get so much stuff on your screen that you can't find anything. You're like, oh, I want this on my screen so I can find it. And then you put so much on your screen, you can't find it. But oh, for sure. I, I, I feel like I read something very recently that I had here that was that said 80,000 but I could be wrong because that does sound high yeah no I'm, I'm not gonna lie that sounds a little high so uh, I wish uh, the median household income if I'm not mistaken according to the Census Bureau if you want to check them real quick that the median household income is around 63 65 thousand dollars give or take and so mm -hmm. thing is what people don't understand that's two income oh, earners. oh you know what I was looking at before I just remembered. I didn't find it, but I think this is this is uh, uh, married households with an intact family, meeting eighty. Gotcha. gotcha. And yeah. so, either way, that's insane. If we divide that in half, that means either one of them is earning sixty and the other's twenty. Uh, you know, if you want to play, or someone's earning forty and forty, that's uh, that's in the in the you know grand scheme of things, that's really not a lot of money. And and so, you know, uh, you, you probably saw this stat that came out. An additional 8 million more Americans fell into poverty, um, you know, during the, the height of the pandemic. And, um, yeah. man, that, that's bad news because we've got an employer-sponsored health care system uh, that uh, pretty much limits access to care if you don't have a job. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and then, you know, with Obamacare, if you know, you if you don't have a job, well, hey, you can't pay those those uh, Obamacare premiums. Yeah. And so oh go ahead. I, I I was just saying when with the Obamacare, I definitely struggled when I was in college. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry, my oh. dog just went crazy. He hears Obamacare and he's yeah. like, Oh god. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
no, I, I mean, I remember being in, in college just trying to think of, you know, tax times coming. And if I'm not enrolled, I have to pay a $500 penalty. penalty. So yeah. I think it first started, was it 200? Then next year was 500 or did it start at 500? I can't remember now, but I remember comparing it. Okay. Yearly, I was sitting there breaking it down yearly. If I pay what I need to pay, what's going to be cheaper. So I ended up paying, I think two or three years, just paying the penalty at the end because I don't remember exactly, but when I did the math, it's like, I'm going to save money and just pay the penalty because yeah. I just couldn't afford it. I was broke. I was barely, you know, I was going to college and then working on the weekends when I could. I just had no money. I couldn't spare an extra 200 plus bucks a month to pay for insurance that in my opinion, I felt like I didn't need because, you know, I'm relatively healthy and I didn't expect any accidents to happen, which I'm sure most of us don't expect accidents to happen, which is, you know, short-sighted, but I just, I just couldn't afford it. No, no, the, the structure of our healthcare system here not only reinforces, you know, the rising cost. Well, when people, you know, they want to talk about, you know, our emergency rooms being full and whatnot. Um, if we, if we essentially not only open access uh, to, to Americans to having healthcare, it would shift the, the supply from, you know, having overrun emergency rooms to where they would actually be able to see a physician um, and address these problems before they're irreversible. You know, I, I think the, one of the top reasons cited for people not going to see a doctor is the cost, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's, in my opinion, that's immoral. That's, you know, that, hey, that it is, it is an alien and foreign idea for anyone in the United Kingdom or, or in Canada or in any other first world industrialized nation that has a, you know, a health, a, a nationalized or a single payer healthcare system. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they don't, you know, they're like, what, what do you mean that if you're sick, you're, you're going to go to the doctor, you know? Um, and so, and, and that's, that's extremely problematic because again, that thing that pretty much, if I don't go to the, if I don't go to, to a doctor and address, you know, say a lump, and I know this is straw man, but just for example, mm -hmm. you know, for all I know, that could be a malignant tumor or, you know, or something that in the back of my mind, I'm just going to be worrying about. Yeah. Well, instead of me addressing it right then and there, it would have been cheaper than getting, you know, a 300, 400, 500,000 or, a, you know, top, you know, million dollar bill for, for cancer treatment in the United mm -hmm. States, you know? And so, I, I mean, we need to open access to our healthcare because it's, 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 it's absurd at this point. I think insulin in the United States is like $300 uh, for a pack in Canada. It's like 20 bucks. I mean, I have friends and family. I know this is anecdotal. I have friends and family that go seek treatment in Mexico, uh, then, you know, paying for it over here in Texas, mm -hmm. you know, well, and I, I'm just saying that that's symptomatic of something's wrong. Something's yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was actually trying to do the math on like what would be cheaper because living here, uh, you know, I had a, what was it? I had some, I've, I've had like knee problems and hip problems and I've had to go do MRIs. Yeah. And it costs me about 200 bucks. Okay. And I was doing the math. Like if I did this in the States, this is 2,500 to $3,000 to get this done. It'd be cheaper for me to get a flight and fly here and then get it done and fly back. than it would have been for me to get it done in the U S but the difference is, is the amount of wait time. So like I had, 
I don't remember how long, but it was like a three month period of three, four month wait period, mm-hmm. um, which for some people it's like, okay, I, I get both arguments on one side. You're saying, well, I would rather wait for three months and not get bankrupt than get it right away. But then on the other hand, if it's a more serious issue and I have to wait for three, four months or longer, maybe, you know, my life is on the line and I just can't get in because it's so packed. Yeah. But I, I definitely agree that there's there's a, there's an issue when I can go here and I can get something done for 200 bucks uh, that cost me thousands in the U.S. It's definitely. Oh, it, you know, it's funny. I just got an MRI on this. Um, what was today? Today is Friday here, Saturday for you, or is it the opposite now? Is it? Oh, it's I'm on Saturday. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So um, so I got a MRI day before yesterday and it was two hundred and eighty one dollars and I. And I'm over, I, I, it, man, I have good insurance. I have Blue Cross Blue Shield. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I was like, I was like, hey, uh, or they, they pretty much get you registered and whatnot. They were like, okay, call, man, I'll find the receipt for you. Oh, where, oh, where? Is, is, is that, it was that much because of your insurance paid the rest of it or? or... No, my insurance paid the rest of the bill, but my, my payment was $281. You, you know, know what I, the total was? I'm going to, I'm going to find that out if anything. Cause I was like, what the fuck? $281. Like I thought it was going to be like a hundred bucks, you know? Um, oh, okay. Well, yeah. When I was in the States last time I was having some, some knee problems and I was talking to them and, and the quote that the doctor gave me while I was sitting there, he said, it's going to be around 2,500 to 3,000. And oh, I, was, I was just shit, shocked. Man. And so I just didn't get anything done. And I, I came back to, believe it i, I believe back it. here and i just did it for 200 bucks and i was thinking wow i just saved I myself thousands. i'm being serious i believe it no i have i have i'm thankful that i have good private health care insurance you know uh but the, the the fact of the matter is you know we have so many uninsured and underinsured people in our country that is is creating a bloat on our health care system to where it's you know they don't address these early stage issues they become horrible problems for them that bankrupt them to where, I mean, you have families that, that instead of them seeking chemo, they choose to commit suicide. And, you know, that like, man, that's a nightmare, you know, and that is, I could not imagine uh, whether it's my father's friend or the, again, the hundreds of thousands, millions of Americans that don't have health insurance that they're having to make these decisions between, hey, do I go to the doctor because I'm sick and if I don't go to the doctor, I have to go to work. Mm-hmm. And it, well, if I don't work, you know, I'm going to get fired. You know, and they're they're yeah. having to weigh the, these these options day in and day out. And uh, man, briefly, it's a racket. It's absolutely a racket. But no, I, I have good health insurance, man. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never had health insurance in my life, really. I I think maybe when I was a kid, I guess through my parents, but I don't really know what that was like because my parents you know going back to the you know issues that we talked about at the beginning with drug abuse and whatnot i've always been kind of in a dysfunctional situation so i have, i really have no idea but i've just kind of been lucky that i've never really had to have anything serious done but um no yeah, I, I, different. I i think that that's a that's a problem with our education system like you know coming out of high school and hell even college know how to fucking file my taxes like because i have no you know financial education in high school or even in college 
And so I think that needs to be something embedded into our curriculum. And I think whether it's you or your listeners, the things I'm saying, I don't think are crazy. I really don't because the, the, the system that we currently have is not working so mm -hmm. much so that people are willing to storm the United States Capitol, that their system isn't working, their voice isn't being heard. Yeah. You know what they're going to turn to? They're going to turn to violence. And then and then what do you have? You know, you've got how many people were arrested at the, the Capitol riots? Hundreds, if not, you know. Yeah. And and well, so let Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. It, 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 that opens the door to what was it? It was a recent poll. Man, I can't remember. It was uh, a poll. Maybe you heard of it. I'm not sure. But it was uh, uh, Democrats and Republicans saying when is it is violence um, acceptable to achieve like a, either a political end or to achieve something. I, I can't remember what it was, that, but the, the Democratic one was quite a bit higher. And then the Republican one was was lower, but it was still higher than what I would generally expect. But then I was listening to these people arguing about it, saying, well, we're surprised it's not 100 percent, because when it comes down to it, if you do have a government turning against everything that you believe in, then at some point, isn't everybody willing to use violence? And it kind of connects to what you're saying, like it, it, everybody's point is a, is different. So maybe when I get, you know, 60 percent aggravated, I'm going to storm the Capitol. But my neighbor needs to be 90 percent agitated before he storms the Capitol. So it just kind of depends on the different level of what what people find is is acceptable. Um, so personally, I do not, you know, endorse the violence, um, whether it was the George Floyd riots or, of course, the the U.S. Capitol insurrection. Yeah, nor um, do I just to make it clear. I'm 100 percent against all of that. Yeah. But the story of history is violence. It is violence of groups against another group to achieve a means to an end. And out in a democratic society and a constitutional republic, um, I think moneyed interests have poisoned the well so much that they have pretty much kept the people out of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, that instead of us, you know, going to the ballot box and voting for a guy that's been in you know power for 47 years and hasn't changed a fucking thing, and you know is is the architect of you know the fucking war on drugs is the architect of the surveillance state is the architect of the situation that we're in you know i think that's ironic to an extent mm -hmm. but um well, but, it's also ironic but mm, not to get like over it but like you know uh over the last year we see this uprising against police authority and then uh well i guess kamala harris did really bad she got like less than one percent, but then being selected for uh, the vice presidency, and then suddenly everybody's jumping on board as her amazing, powerful uh, black yeah. woman. It's, but like a week earlier, everybody's going off against police authority and racism built into the system. But she's with her history, and I just find out oh, found it very. No, no, it's absolutely, it is ironic. I mean, she has no mandate. She dropped out before Iowa. She got 001 percent of the Democratic vote. What mandate does Kamala Harris have? Mm -hmm. However, I I understand that you know Joe Biden and Harris were elected, and so you know I'm going to respect that she's in the vice presidency role. However, her history is a dark history, and for mm -hmm. people to not you know acknowledge that. Are, are partisans they don't want and i'm not i don't mean that to be disparaging 
It's the truth that they don't want to listen to the facts about her history or Joe Biden's history or Trump's history or any of their history. Mm -hmm. They are not motivated by objective reality that they only want to stay in their ecosystem and their bubble. Yeah. And that is a component of the problem that we are currently seeing. And so with with Joe Biden in particular, you know, this unity candidate uh, that, you know, he. He claims claims to be and and whatnot. I I, I honestly hey, he's bringing us together, man. Honestly, so <laughs> I I seriously do believe that the social cohesion, the social fabric of the United States, is held on by a thread or threads. I'll be generous, but it is become it has become a worse and worse situation to where we have you know there are. Alternate, like alternative facts, was not a a you know, in the common nomenclature twenty years ago. Those were called lies. Those were called lies, right? Fake news was called fucking lies. And so, um, it, it's it's you know, when people hear me say this, like they're like, wait a minute, like you must be a Republican. God no, I'm over here talking to you about you know single payer healthcare systems, right? Yeah, oh. uh, I'm over here talking to you about raising taxes on the wealthy and our top income earners to you know increase their tax burden, which has lowered you know for the last forty years. And so, I honestly think that I I, I believe in 2022, Joe Biden's gonna uh, essentially. He's going to be a lame duck president by 2022. The Republicans are going to win uh, the House back and they're going to win the Senate back. You know why? Because they didn't raise the minimum wage when they promised to. They didn't They didn't uh, deliver on the $2,000 checks. Hey, we're going to renege on that. We meant $1,400 because $1,400 plus $600 is $2,000. Yeah, we're sorry, guys. We couldn't get, you know, Joe Manchin on board or Kristen Sinema, you know. And, it, and it's absurd, you know. Uh, imagine... I don't think anyone in the I don't think any common person gives a fuck about bipartisanship. They care about good policies. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a distinction because I think partisans only tow the establishment line. They get along. They go along to get along. Mm -hmm. Whereas policies that people actually want. They want the minimum uh, uh, wage raise. They want, you know, a better health care system. They want better representation in Congress and in in our political system. They want to, at the very least, have the opportunity to pursue happiness. And in the last 30, 40 years, I think that is, you know, essentially why deaths of despair are rising, because people don't. They, 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 they don't feel that, you know, yes, we have economic mobility, but it feels it feels and, you know, the statistics are showing that that window is closing. Mm-hmm. And so 2024, Joe Biden loses. I don't he's he's barely talked about rerunning. I don't think he's going to rerun, but I think a Democratic president would lose um, because they're they're just not meeting. They're just not meeting anything that they said. They've already lied about you know raising the minimum wage mm-hmm. and uh you know the two thousand dollar stimulus check and so if you're going to listen to the senate parliamentarian uh versus you know the duly elected you know v- uh, president and vice president of rules and whatnot mm-hmm. i don't know what to tell you man 
Well, I think it's interesting, like one, like you're talking about people care about the policy. I think that's true. And like, if you were to go, I don't know if you've done this, but you look online and you watch videos. um, And of course, these videos can be fixed to only show the ones that we, they want to show, but you see individuals like on college campuses and they say, Hey, what do you think about this policy? And they're like, Oh, this one's good. That one's bad. This one's good. That one's bad. And they're like, Oh, well, do you know whose policy is whose? And you'll have these staunch, like, left-wing or right-wing people that support the opposite policy, but they don't know who said it. But then you tell them afterwards who said it, and suddenly they're like, oh, well, oh, okay. And then they start justifying it and then making that policy against what they want. Why do you think that is? What's that? Sorry? Why why do you think that is? Why do you think, like, there's this, this divorce between, you know, a name or a label attached to a policy? I mean, it's the, the simple answer is like stubbornness. Like I, I know that I'm very stubborn as well. As I get older, I'm less and less stubborn. I think I'm more open to new ideas and willing to look at information, look at data to see where my faults are. Um, like having an interest in learning, but more so I have an interest in not looking stupid. So <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't want to be in a discussion with someone, and I've done this before, where I'm in a discussion with someone, and I say something acting like, okay, I heard this thing, so it must be true, and I yeah. jump on it, and I say it, and I just get blown away because I, I don't actually know the information behind what I'm saying, and I'm made to look stupid in front of people, and I have nothing to say. So I don't want to look stupid, and I think that's one of my bigger motivations What's jumping into the political field is I don't like going into situations where I – people are having these discussions about things that matter and I don't have enough knowledge to support the things that I'm saying. No, but it seems like, especially on college campuses, people have very strong opinions with very little information. I agree. I agree. I think a a good, a good, um, place uh, for that is essentially the, I forget what the house bill or the Senate bill, um, really that, uh, Senator Ted Cruz partnered with, uh, might've been Chuck Grassley. I might have that name wrong. Um, essentially talking about, you know, gun reform and whatnot, and especially with the last week's, you know, mass shootings. And then, you know, that's how we know we're getting back to normal here in the United States. It's what I get. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, let me ask you about that. Why do you think the United States, you, you know, amongst the industrialized nations, so I'm talking about first world nations, mm-hmm. um, it, it you know, I believe gun violence or gun deaths in the United States, including suicides in the United Kingdom, is 0.4 per 1,000 or 100,000, whereas it is in the United States three or four per 1,000 per 100,000. Why does it? Why does it seem that gun violence is this uniquely American problem? I think it seems that way because of the portrayal. But I, I mean, I don't have the numbers up here. But if you were to look at mass shooting violence. U.S. is, you know, behind several other industrialized nations. I think, I don't even think they're, they might be at the top 10. I, I, I for some reason, the, the number 11 is coming up uh, to me, but there's a difference between what they consider mass shootings, which is four or more deaths versus um, just gun deaths, which a big portion of gun deaths are through pistols. And a big portion of that is through su- suicides. And then when you break that down, a bigger portion of that is gang violence. So I think all of this needs to be broken down piece by piece. I mean, if we're just talking about deaths, well, knife, you know, death through knives is far beyond several multiples of 
uh, rifle deaths. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I don't necessarily have an answer to your question, but I do think it's a lot of it is connected to perception and what the media is telling people. Okay. Now, um, you know, my brother and I were talking about this earlier um, because I, I, if you've got somebody like Ted Cruz, you know, talking about, you know, universal background checks and like actually wanting to, to change the background check system, then mm-hmm. damn, man, that, that guy's the most constitutionalist Republican I know. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, again, at the very least, um, you know, man, I'm a huge gun advocate. Like you can, <laughs> I, that, I, hope, I don't know if that's going to surprise you or not. Um, I mean, but I, I'm split. I kind of, based on some of your leanings, I, I, I kind of just felt like you would be kind of like a proponent of, uh, uh, gun restriction, but you know, I, I didn't hear from Texas, so <laughs> I'm a, I'm a rare breed. Um, so man, I have, let's see, I've got, fuck, I can't even count them on one hand. Um, uh, so I have quite a few firearms. However, I grew up with firearms. My father taught me from a young age about gun safety and that a gun is always loaded no matter what, whether it is or isn't. Uh-huh. And, and that's extremely important because in the last you know, year, um, man, I haven't been able to buy ammo for for to to save my life you know no pun intended you know having to show up at an academy at seven o'clock in the morning on a monday to wait in line to buy a box of ammo at you know an actual fair price instead if you buy it off the line mm-hmm. um you know but it, you have eight million to 12 million new gun owners in the united states you know from 2020 to now that that is problematic because these people don't know how to they're not training themselves and they haven't grown up with these guns because typically you know by the time i was 18 you know my dad had already given me several rifles so i grew up hunting um whereas whereas you know in urban cities do you do you think people in in houston or actually i'm not gonna say houston but in new york san francisco in um you know detroit michigan do you think they go hunting um they some of them for some of them some of them for certain but not a majority of them and so you know i think this guy in particular um i i don't know his name and i don't even want to say his name because uh that i don't want to you know glorify this piece of shit that you're talking about colorado yeah, and, and even even the one before that, you know, I don't want to know their name. I don't want to say their names because they, yeah. the what they chose to do is so horrific. Yeah, that it, it is, it is. I I I guess you know both you and I are of rational minds. I do not know as a rational person what would drive me to go murder and massacre ten people, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, I, I agree with, you know, uh, Ted Cruz, even though I disagree with him on a multitude of things, um, I, we need to expand background checks, um, you know, whether it's, you know, lengthening waiting periods, uh, for these people, um, hell, I'll give you a personal story. So last year I got, um, my first, uh, Ruger five, five, six, which is now getting bastardized in the media and whatnot. It's a, it's a long rifle. It's an 18 inch barrel. I love the thing, man. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful gun, and so I ordered it, and uh, you know I had it sent to my local FFL, 
and I go to pick it up. And this is it in late March, early April, during the height of COVID or during the height of the 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 pandemic in the sense of like, hey, where's this going? You mm-hmm. know, this is when, um, you know, the NBA, the MLB, um, you know, Tom Hanks just got sick <laughs> and, and we didn't know where we we're going to go. But you have people bum rushing, you know, these gun stores to purchase and buy guns. And so we could dive into the psyche of why are they feeling so insecure to go buy a gun? I don't, you know, but, you know, I'm, I'm standing there. I've gone to my gun shop, you know, a million times to pick up ammo, to pick up accessories um, and just to see what they have in stock. However, I have never seen this many people in this gun shop. He, uh-huh. he pulled out this little wheel where we had to pull a number to be serviced. And I'm sitting there behind the counter staring at my gun. I'm like, hey, that's that's my gun. I just need to, you know, fill out my form and pick it up and whatnot. But as I'm standing there, there's a man um, in a hoodie. Um, you know, he had his hood up and, you know, he looked like a sketchy individual and whatnot. Yeah. And so he never filled out, um, uh, you know, the form to for, for you to pick up your gun and, you know, for your background check. He was asking these really simplistic questions. Hey, do I have to answer, like, truthfully that I've smoked marijuana? <laughs> because yeah. in, in the state of Texas, if, you, if you've smoked marijuana, I'm not sure if this is nationally, you cannot, you know, purchase a firearm and whatnot. It literally is a question. Really? Yeah, no, it's literally a question on the form. And so he's asking all these stupid questions that uh, you, you, hey, just like literally put your name, your information, your your date of birth, you know, your height, your weight, and whatnot. Have you been convicted convicted of a felony? And even if you have been convicted of a felony by you even attempting to pick up that piece of paper, that is a felony or pick up that gun that is a felony trying to purchase that 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 weapon Uh and so this guy was you know asking all these dumb questions i'm getting annoyed everyone in the shop is getting annoyed and the guy just dips he just dips out Uh and so i'm um i'm you know i'm like oh you know hey i get to you know get my gun faster and about 15 20 20 minutes goes by i put in my information get the you know green light to proceed uh, checks me out, and as I'm walking out, this guy is surrounded by six ATF agents. Uh, <laughs> pretty much, like, hey, you know, I could overhear them, like, hey, buddy, why are you even trying to pick up this gun? You know, you're a felon. So in that instance, that is a case of our background system, or background check system working. Yeah. However, there are loopholes in our background check system that you know, like people who have a propensity for violence. Like this last guy should not have been able to get a gun, you know, and I don't think that's a slippery slope. I think if you have a history of violent behavior, you don't need to to, to own a gun. You need to, to go to therapy and, you know, you need to have access to, to better mental health services. I don't think that's a crazy um, outlandish idea. You've got, you know, Ted Cruz pushing that. And so um, it's in my purview, I don't think that's an infringement on our Second Amendment. Um, we want to make sure the right people have access to these guns because, uh, guys, like I mean, I love guns. I love gun culture. I uh, a lot of friends and family that I that hey, we like going shooting. We like, you know, I just purchased a an HKVP9L. I call it my uh, wick stick. 
And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I wanted to go show my, my dad and whatnot because, I mean, he, he probably has, you know, he's a big CZ guy, big Winchester guy, and he's never seen, you know, like, you know, an HK, an Austrian pistol, you know, and uh, mm. it's definitely a little foreign for him. But I mean, at the very least, do you, do you agree with with, uh, you know, Senator Ted Cruz on us expanding background checks? Do you think we should go to a licensing model like the uh, the Swedes do? It might be the Swedes or Swiss, uh, there in Switzerland. What do you think we should do? Because this is a recurring issue time and time again. Uh, let me give me one second. I'm, I'm going to answer that. <laughs> one second, sorry, one second. You can look at my my actual background, which has a dog hey. cage and an exercise ball. It's all good, man. It's all good. I hope you like my uh, portrait and whatnot. Welcome back. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good, buddy. All right. So um, I have mixed feelings on this because I, my knowledge is a little bit low. And I know how I feel personally about um, the right to bear arms for sure. Um, but, you know, I've been trying to get pe people to come on here recently. I've been doing some posts trying to get pe gun advocates and people that are uh, uh against guns to come on here and share with me their opinions and why they think that way, just because I don't know a lot about it. Even though I've, you know, in my past, there's always kind of been guns around and my brother's a big advocate. He's got a safe full of guns. I just don't know a lot about it. Um, and so for, for me, there's a, a part of me that doesn't understand the argument about, you know, like a government registry. Mm -hmm. There's people saying they do not want the government to know what guns they have. They don't want a registry of all the weapons in the United States, which I don't necessarily understand the argument. And I'm sure that, that there's reasons for why they believe that or why they feel that way. But I just don't know what they are because I haven't been able to go in depth about it to understand it. Oh, yeah. I, I think that, you know, when, when we talk about registry, they, they worry about the surveillance state more than anything that, you know, they're going to come knocking on our doors. Um, I... I you know, it, it is a, like anything, like anything we've talked about is the nuanced issue. Um, it is, it is one, I, I think guns in American society, it's unique. You know, it is, uh, is ingrained into our culture. 
Um, however, there are these bad people that are getting a hold of these and uh, they're, you know, going up and creating a public health crisis by shooting up grocery stores, theaters, schools, kindergartens and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, another aspect that people don't want to talk about is suicides, is gun suicides. And that's, you know, a part of uh, that book that I recommended, Deaths, Deaths of Despair. And, you know, why are people choosing to just shoot themselves in the head um, or, you know, look up? Uh, ways to uh, you know make a suicide bag but you know gun suicides in the United States has been continuing on the rise for the last 20 years mm-hmm. and it's I, I honestly think that if I, I not only think I believe I really do believe if we address the economic situations of these desperate people you know I'm talking about the people that are committing suicide um not i'm not talking about the mass shooters i think that is ideologically driven um you know and and my brother said something to me earlier there are some men that just or men and women that want to watch the world burn Mm -hmm. that there's something wrong with them and i don't think these people should have access to guns because typically they're they're indicators of them you know whether it's uh violence in high school um, you know, antisocial disorders, you know, that have been diagnosed and whatnot. And I, I think that's absolutely fair game that, you know, these people should not have access to guns, you yeah. know. But I think the legislation pushed like, uh, you know, the automatic um, bans and whatnot um, and the um, uh, large capacity magazine bans of the 90s, those didn't fucking work. And uh, it, well, it's... I don't know if you recall but biden just the other day said that they did work so yeah i know and <laughs> that's that's the funny thing about the truth is that politicians love to spin it and and so the you know this is this is a problem you know whether it's the war on drugs or whether it's you know gun violence if we want to actually address the problem mm-hmm. of these problems for, for example the biggest customers of drug cartels in Mexico that are poisoning America, uh, or uh, just answered the question, the biggest customers are Americans. Well, how do we actually address, you know, people, there's a clearly a want and a need, you know, for Americans to change uh, their reality, to, to make themselves, you know, whether it's, you know, achieve a high or do whatever the fuck they want to do, because that essentially is the libertarian argument is that we should legalize all drugs and tax the shit out of them that would undercut and kneecap drug cartels that would actually address the problem of you know drug overdoses you know through heroin and fentanyl in the united states if we want to want to attack you know gun suicides well why are people so unhappy well typically speaking number one indicator of their unhappiness is their economic well-being you know and essentially household debts you know, in the last several years have continued to increase. And with the, you know, the Democrats, the neoliberals, whatever you want to call them, the establishment, they want to, uh, I, I agree with, you know, um, whether it's Rand Paul or Ted Cruz, they want to attack the law abiding citizen. They want to create victims. Um, but where I think there's overlap is that, Hey, like, yeah, these people don't need to have guns. You know, they, they, they're, there's something wrong with them. They actually need mental health counseling. They need a psychiatrist. They need a psychologist. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with not being okay. But if we don't address those early health outcomes, you know, sooner, then you have people, you know, just going to the gun store, 
picking up, you know, a Ruger EC9S and just, you know, popping themselves in the head because it's quick, it's painless, and it's cheap. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it's it's sad because, uh, you know, a colleague of mine was asking me about, hey, what was that one in Florida? I was like, oh, shit, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know because there's been so many. Mm-hmm. And whether it was the, you know, in the 60s with the UT Tower Shooter, and you know to um, to uh, you know pa- Stoneman Douglas Parkland, you know, and then now the two most recent ones. I mean, I, I think we have a problem on our hands that at the very least needs to be addressed meaningfully. But it doesn't need the, the, the there, There's one thing: the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree was is today. And so if we don't do anything, I think it's worse than not doing anything at all because we're going to keep having the same conversations. You're going to keep having Joe Biden talking about his hairy legs and talking about, you know, how gun uh, magazine bans worked in the 90s when, in fact, they really didn't. And so it's it's that that legislation pretty much you know limited access to actual gun you know uh, pretty much law-abiding americans that didn't address any gun violence issues because you know as we both know you know in chicago and in detroit michigan and you know these inner cities and urban centers they have you know uh gang violence death rates uh nearly on par with uh Wadas and um in afghanistan mm-hmm. that's insane that is absolutely insane and so i i don't know like what the actual solution is but i know that us you know just throwing our hands up and not doing anything isn't working either yeah i i'm wondering because one of the things you're talking about is that there's these mass shootings going on but if we were to go down, so here's my worry. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where to draw the line, and it's going to come to a point where I say, okay, well, felons, and then it goes to the next step and the next step because mass shootings, in my opinion, are going to keep happening no matter what. And a lot of these people that are that um, do these mass shootings, even with all the gun restrictions and the background checks, they would have still been able to get a firearm. We, so it, it's really hard to identify all these people before they do it. And so then you're going to get it more and more strict. And then it's okay. Well, anybody that's on any depression, antidepressant medication cannot have a weapon. And then it opens a whole other can of worms. It's like, okay, so I don't have the right to protect myself just because I'm depressed. Um, and so when I'm looking at like mass shooting, so I'm just lying on, on time right now. Mm-hmm. And in, uh, I'm not 100% sure because I just went to this quickly because I was thinking the amount of mass shootings per year is like around seven or so. But I, I, I did want to say it if I'm not correct. And we've got 370 or 360, 70 million people in the United States and depression is going up, up, up. So we're bound to have these people that commit these acts. And so, uh, for example, I'm looking at a page right now and it's showing killed versus wounded in 2019, 57 killed. 78 wounded out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven mass shootings. 2018, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, uh, 12 <laughs> mass shootings. Uh, 
2017 and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So it's for for me out of that amount of people with depression going up, even even if you know there's a million people, I would I would assume out of the a million people, how if you put a hundred people in a room, how many of those people are going to bound to have some some sort of crazy ideas? You're bound to have someone in that room with some crazy ideas. Now you expand that to millions of people. How many people in that category are bound to have like homicidal ideas? Mm-hmm. And it, it keeps going up. And so these restrictions, I, I just don't see a way of creating restrictions that are going to net these people in without also restricting the rights of law-abiding citizens. I think that's fair. I do. Um, and again, I, I think this is an issue that is nuanced, is extremely you know, complex because how do we, how do, how do we address, you know, the rises of, you know, depression? How do we address the rises of, you know, gun deaths, you know, and, and mass shootings without infringing upon the rights of law abiding citizens? It's, (coughs) excuse me, it's that COVID. Uh, And, uh, (laughs) and um, the thing is, is if, if we don't, you know, is the opportunity cost that, Hey, you know, am I weighing that if I go to the grocery store, to the theater, is that okay? Am I taking the risk that by me going here, I'm going to, you know, I'm taking the risk of getting, you know, shot up in a, you know, and I'll be on the news at nine o'clock tonight. Is that, you know, something that, you know, Americans want to live with? And I think if you ask the majority of Americans, I don't think they would be okay with that. But at the same time, how do we address the problem without infringing upon these rights and so whether it's a universal background check system licensing i think is tough um you know i i haven't done a lot of um reading on licensing and registration of of firearms i know the united uh not the united kingdom australia did it um i know new zealand did it um after um the uh, synagogue shooting and what was that 2017 2018 um you know, and it's it's a mixed bag. It really is uh, because I, I don't want to create victims. But at the same time, I don't want to, you know, allow these psychopaths and, you know, people that honestly, this is this, so this is something I was going to say. I believe in the death penalty um, mm-hmm. as a principled measure in, in the sense that it should be only utilized for mass killers, that they have done something so horrific. That the state has no choice but to ensure that how, how do you rehabilitate someone that has killed 10 people in a grocery store how do you rehabilitate someone who killed eight women you know in massage parlors how do you rehabilitate someone that killed kids in the kindergarten you know you can't i don't think anyone that is serious is going to sit here and tell me that you can rehabilitate them because what justice is that for for American taxpayers to pay for a a I, there's I don't know if there's a word for it. I don't know if there's a word for how horrific of an, an action they committed. And so I think the state's only solution is to is to eliminate them. You know, um, it is to to actually see justice for the, the, the families and the loved ones that have suffered, you know, the losses of their friends and families. Yeah. And 
And I think that's where I differ with a lot of uh, my contemporaries. I know the death penalty gets things wrong in terms of, uh, you know, wh whether it's in uh, nonviolent crimes or violent crimes or people that have been accused. I'm not talking about that. I don't want anybody to misrepresent what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I believe the death penalty should only be used for mass murderers because of what they did is so horrible. It's so black and white. I, I, I don't, I can't take anyone serious that is saying that they could be re rehabilitated. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's where I differ with a lot of my contemporaries. I think it depends on who you're talking to and in what facet you're talking to them as well, because uh, the first thing that you say when the first thing where my mind goes when you say that is I agree with you but yeah. then I start thinking back like in my history and my experiences in the past and I think of okay how about religiously hmm. when I was younger there are people in the Bible that you know committed horrible acts and that were later forgiven and so from the religious crowd you would get you would get some resistance on that thinking that no matter how horrible, no matter what someone does, no matter how horrible it is, they're still capable of being forgiven. And so strictly from a religious standpoint, I think they would argue that this person deserves to continue their life and work towards gaining forgiveness, whether it's a possibility in other people's mind or not. So I think that would be one area of resistance that you would get. For me personally, I would say, yeah, they deserve to die, <laughs> but I do have that part of me in the past where I did have that strong religious connection that is, that just feel like it's not our place to kill anybody. Yeah. But I, I, I agree with you though. So, you know, this it's is kind tough. of part of my uh, like evolving mind where I'm adapting and changing my perspectives because I'm clearly not set in my ways on, on certain issues. Um, but, you know, as you just said, anyone that doesn't think that way, you couldn't really take seriously. I don't want you to not be able to take me seriously, but I do have a conflict. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't want my words to be misconstrued. I know I said I wouldn't take them seriously, but if that option was even on the table or even considered, I think it would be absurd. You know, in, in Texas, I believe the, uh, what was the synagogue or the, um, Sutherland Springs, um, you know, shooting, I think he's seeing the death penalty, uh, you know, and I, I think, you know, in the, in, I think what you're talking about is redemptive suffering, um, or, you know, just redemption. And, you know, I do think, you know, to an extent, my mind is willing to be changed, you know, but that is such a horrific act. You, out of no fault of their own, you know, doing something as trivial as, shopping for groceries or enjoying a movie <coughs> that that they didn't know that they were targets of a, a mass murderer and and you know legislatively speaking it is such a hard issue to legislate because you you know on one hand it would be hard for me to sit here and say that you know all would would it actually fix the problem the thing is we don't know because we haven't done anything. You know, we continue to, to just every every week, every month, you know, we're going back to normal now. So when the next one happens, you know, we'll have 
we'll have a similar conversation about, well, hey, you know, we can't infringe upon the rights of law-abiding citizens, you know, so therefore throw our hands up, let's not do anything about it, you know. And I think if anything was going to change uh, was when all those, uh, I believe it was Parkland, when, you know, three, four, five-year-olds were murdered. Mm-hmm. And I think if anything was going to change, it was then. You know, because the majority of Americans wanted, you know, gun legislation, but, you know, the Obama Obama administration failed to deliver as far as meaningful gun reform. And, you know, I, I just, it's such a tough issue because on, you know, I'm a principled leftist that, you know, believes that, uh, you know, we got to do something about this problem. However, I'm, you know, born in Texas and raised around guns and... Yeah. And I'm a gun owner myself and I I don't want, you know, uh, confiscation to be legislated. That would be absurd. You know, uh, logistically speaking, I, I don't think it's possible to confiscate. Yeah. Well, I think in, in that situation, you'd have a bunch of law abiding citizens maybe giving up their <laughs> weapons. You'd have others resisting. And then you'd have on top of that, you'd have a border being you just you'd basically magnify the issue with the cartel because then. That's just another industry that they're going to flourish in because they're going to keep running weapons across the border. So it's just going to it's going to magnify what we're dealing with with the drug issues across the border. It's going to it's going to be a whole other situation. Exactly. You know, and and, and you know, to to summarize and wrap everything up is is the problems that we face as Americans are extremely nuanced and complex. And anyone that tries to provide, you know, Hey, it's, it's black or white. That's not true. Like, are there actual easy solutions to the problems we face? Yes. Um, you know, changing our healthcare system from a multi-payer healthcare system to a single payer healthcare system. I think that would address the deaths of despair that we've seen on the rise. Um, you know, whether with gun legislation, I, that one is such a, a tricky issue. Uh, there's two issues that I don't like talking about. Gun reform and immigration. Because on one hand, you know, um, undocumented immigrants that come into the country undermines uh, working class individuals and depresses wages, right? Well, I think a solution to that, you know, to briefly, you know, is, is actually fine. You know, these companies that, that are exploiting labor of undocumented immigrants and whatnot and so um yeah, but those are two typical topics that i don't really enjoy talking about because man you can piss a lot of people off um <laughs> and, absolutely you know so oh buddy what are we at right now uh where it uh what is it what time we start 11 one two twenty so two is it two hours right now what, uh, man, oh no three hours three. wow buddy uh, you know what you know what's interesting uh I've got this thing pulled up on my screen that I wanted to ask you about the very beginning of our conversation when you talked about doing the poll. And then I've got this other thing over here where, you know, I originally thought we were going to go into a a minimum wage discussion about economy. (laughs) We didn't even talk about it. We didn't even get to it. But you, I mean, we touched on it a few times where I wanted to jump into it, but I was like, if we jump into this, we're looking at like an eight hour conversation. So I just didn't go into it, but I I would love for you to come back on and we can talk about it a little bit. If that's something you're open to. I, of course, friend. I'm more than happy to come back on. All right. Awesome. Do you mind if I just this last thing that's connected to what you talked about at the very beginning, if I just yeah. uh, bring this up to you and then you can kind of give your insight on that and then we'll, we'll wrap yeah, it up. Sure. For sure. Okay, cool. 
so kind of at the beginning, you were talking about how you went from left to right, and you were talking about you did that poll about what people are most concerned about. Are you, are you familiar with the Echelon poll that was no, go, done go uh, ahead, don't was a few weeks ago? So this is kind of one of the issues that I that I ran into, or I mean, that kind of verifies one of the, the problems that I have kind of with the left. And so when uh, the they they basically did a poll on what is your biggest concern, yeah, for people on the left and on the right. And on the left, the biggest concern eighty two percent of people said their very big biggest concern was Donald Trump supporters. Their second biggest concern was white nationalists. Their third biggest concern is systemic racism, and their fourth biggest concern, gun violence, and then fifth was Americans lacking in health coverage. So, it's wow. it's basically you go down three notches. The first three biggest concerns with uh, the left is, sorry, my girlfriend wanted to see who I was talking about. I'm talking to. Uh, um, this is one of the biggest problems. It seems like the the left is worried about people to where the right is more worried about ideas. So let me go over the same thing on the right. Their number one concern, 81% is illegal immigration. 79% is lack of support for the police. Uh, third, 77% is high taxes. And then fourth, 75 liberal bias in mainstream media. Mm-hmm. It just kind of goes down. You don't see anything on the right that is, and I think that's one of the problems with the censorship that we talked about earlier is that on the left, their biggest concerns are these horrible Trump supporters, white nationalists, and systemic racism, and they want to cut it out of society, which then classifies this huge group of people, 70 million people or whatnot that voted for Trump, within this category of people that are horrible because, as you can see, the Trump supporters are the number one concern. So it's classifying this huge portion of the American population into this category and saying, well, we need to get these rid of these people. We need to purge these people. But on yeah. the right, it's about issues, about immigration, support for police, and taxes. Yeah. So I, that kind of goes into one of my bigger things that's been building over the years. It's the left is concerned about people and censoring them to where the right is, seems more concerned with with uh, policy. Yeah, no. And so um, this, this is something Thomas Franks, uh, What's the Matter with Kansas? I encourage you know you and your, your listeners to read is uh, it talks about, you know, what's happened you know, in the United States of America, essentially, how did people go from actually caring about the material well-being of people to what is, you know, as we describe the culture war? And so essentially with um, with immigration or with Donald Trump supporters or with uh, with immigration, it's tough because it's both a culture war issue and an economic issue, in fact. And so it's one of those that I'll put into the middle category of, you know, a blended issue. Um, with Donald Trump supporters, white supremacists, things, things like that. Like, yes, of course, those are concerns, but those don't address the actual material well-being of people. And so I, I think that's where I differ from, you know, people who respond to that poll. You know, if you if you asked me what the biggest concern is that that is facing the United States right now is is two is essentially economic concerns it is is essentially wealth inequality in the united states where ceos in the 1970s were making only 30 times more than their lowest paid worker and now they're making hundreds to thousands of times more than their their lowest paid worker you know currently and so why why have wages stayed stagnant in the last you know 30 40 years and so it's 
these actually address what is going on and i think power structures in particular in the establishment don't want us to talk about these because you know what that does that affects their bottom line and affects their bottom dollar because if they could keep robbing us from the back door then they'll they'll keep doing it i mean perfect example was essentially after the january 6th insurrection was essentially you've got companies like coca-cola you've got <laughs> you, you know comcast they're pulling all of their lobbying from you know republicans they're like hey we're not going to um we're not going to uh associate ourselves with republicans mm -hmm. and mitch mcconnell pretty much you know gathered up all the his the, the republican caucus it was like hey motherfuckers you know we got to fix this we got to denounce this yada 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 because we are losing money and until things actually affect people's bottom dollars and affects them monetarily that's when they're going to actually address things and so um you know to touch on this on the left it almost sounds like i mean in in both ways there's you know liberal bias in the media on the right like you know as a concern and then on the left you know donald trump supporters um white supremacists what was number three or which side or yeah. yeah, people it, would. It was Donald Trump supporters at 82%, white nationalism at 79%, systemic racism at 77%, then gun yeah. violence 76%, and Americans lacking health coverage was 75%. Well, at least, you know, I guess a few Healthcare of them made it up there. Yeah, I'm glad. Wow. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. And so, um, and so it's like, how did values and culture co-opt you know uh, our economic well-being our basics being met and that's you know kind of what the book talks about but it's 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 in, because we see it on both sides you know this uh, a good example was uh, the nomination uh, uh, to the office of management and budget near tandon she is a enemy of the people she wants to essentially you know, uh, not pay workers a living wage. She wants to not actually do things that would address their economic well-being. She wants to go into Syria and take uh, oil to pay, you know, for social welfare programs here in the United States. Not something an actual progressive or an actual principled person would want, right? And so I, you know, I think essentially you've been co-opted by a bunch of you know, uh, what's the term? Um, regulatory capture. And, and to where essentially you have people that come from the private industry that go work in public industry to change the rules to benefit, you know, corporations and whatnot to where, you know, you saw it all last summer. Hey, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, which, you know, I, I, I do support, but I don't support, you know, companies coming out and making sure to let it be known that, hey, they, they, you know, they're all for, you know, uh, diversity and equity. Well, why don't you just pay your fucking people more? How about that? You know, at the very least, like that, that would address the problem right there. You want to talk about systemic racism? We'll pay them more, mm -hmm. you know, and instead, like they'll spend 10 or $15 million on commercials, but they won't pay their workers more. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I it's it's problematic uh, there there's a really good uh poll you know i, I love polls over here uh done by gallup and uh, they, it's a trust in the united states and over the last you know decade trust uh, you know americans now as of as most recently view the 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 other political party as the enemy 
on both sides, you know, according to this this poll, that's a problem. That is a huge problem. And that goes into what we were talking about earlier with social cohesion. What do you do when you can't even talk to your neighbor, when you can't even talk to someone who disagrees with you? You know, and so I, I think that, you know, values uh, or, uh, you know, the these establishment dark moneyed interests have co-opted Americans to where we're distracted by culture war issues. And we're not actually addressing the problems at hand, whether it's our economic system or whether it's our healthcare system or the number of other infrastructures that we just have have not fixed and continue to wither away over the last 30 and 40 years. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think they had a, I think Gallup had a, a poll that was asking if what people trusted more the media or the government. I can't remember what the outcome was, but I thought that was an interesting question. Made me scratch yeah. my head a little bit. No, you're right. In that poll, it goes, it's a part of of it that the, the trust in governments has declined, you know, because we could get continue to be let down by by these, you know, career politicians that go in, you know, bright eyed and blue eyed. But I think this is an interesting stat. I don't have the number, but I know anyone that goes into Congress or goes into the Senate, they come out rich as hell, man. And then yeah. they go work at Amazon. They'll go work at Google. They'll go work at whatever, you know, monopoly. And, you know, essentially they pass legislation while they're in power. Well, hey, their payback is getting that, you know, multi-million dollar salary and stock options and whatnot. So, yeah. It's, a, it's a it's a dark state of affairs. It really is. And uh, I think we're more divided in, than ever. We're not talking about the things that we actually need to talk about, like the minimum wage, which I think we're going to have to leave to until next time. Yeah, I think so <laughs> I, I would love it if, you know, you can come on soon because, you know, that's something I do. I do want to talk about. And that's actually what I got up here. I, I kind of thought we would get into, but I, I like where we ended up going. It was natural and worked out well so hopefully you can come back on and we'll kind of get into it i think i think we'll have more disagreements uh in that area uh based on some of the into windows you've given i i think we'll have some disagreements there but i think it'll be interesting to talk about and i think you'll know a lot more about it than i will and i'll just kind of give the stuff my perception and see what you have to say about it um of course I can't wait until next time. We gotta definitely uh we gotta get this scheduled soon and whatnot. So we'll yeah. we'll talk about that after the show. So for sure. Yeah, I look forward to it. Is there any uh any shout out, any information you wanna give on how people can uh contact with you or find you? Hey yeah, for sure. Uh you can follow me on Spotify or wherever you get podcasts on uh at Undone Podcast. Uh follow me on Instagram at William underscore undone, or you can shoot me an email at undone podcast at gmail.com. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on. And this has been Systemically Distorted Communication. If you have any problems with anything that you've heard here, a little bit of controversial stuff, go ahead and send me or William a message. For me, it's uh, systemicdcommunication at gmail.com. And until next time, thanks for tuning in. Of course. All right. Y'all take it easy. Have a good night. <laughs>